right. Welcome to yet another episode of the Clutch Burners podcast with right over there, the Canadian Chuck Norris. That would be Richard Guido. And the guy who smells like burnt rubber today, Bill Armstrong. That's right. I, I, day. I did, in fact, go to the track first time this season. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, I learned a whole bunch. And I want to thank Tom and Blaine Stark for coming because my head hurts. I learned so much from Tom today. Um, and, and we can talk more about that later. But uh, yeah, I learned a ton as far as um, tire pressure stuff, like all these things you think a guy would know. Um, but shock tuning, especially, um, that made a huge difference. And the track was not good today. I was, I had goals to try the radials today, and we didn't get there because the track wasn't very good. But um, focus, Carl, great. Who, who, who else is with us? And I made it home. Oh, our guest today <laughs> with that killer picture of him launching his '56 Chevy stick car. We have Mr. Andy Starr with us today. Andy, say hello. Hey guys, and thanks so much for having me. I'm I'm totally honored to be on the Clutch Burns podcast. This is so exciting. You have no idea. So well, thank you for having me. We're we're super excited to have you on here. So so tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, you have some history in the industry that I mean, I I'll tell a story about how you helped the tune on my car. And like I had I didn't even know you. You were like, hey man, your car starts a little hard. Can I take a look? <laughs> and I, I was just telling Travis before this, like Literally every single time I start my car, I'm like, dude, Andy is amazing because it starts like a new car now. It's awesome. Yeah, and it was like a few keystrokes. So so tell people who you are, kind of your background and what you're doing now and yeah, about sure, that awesome sure. car behind you too. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I'm Andy Starr. I own uh, Star, Star Performance and Consulting. Uh, geez, you know, I've been a stick your face for my whole entire life. And that is just a, a, a lifelong uh, uh, exercise and perseverance and learning how to uh, do <laughs> well stick shifts. Well oh my put. gosh. Yeah, sure. And, uh, you know, so, uh, I really got my start in high performance aftermarket, uh, working for Hillborn fuel injection, doing their, their EFI, uh, program. And I did that for a bunch of years from 06 to about uh, three and a half years ago, uh, when they were bought by Holly. And then I was a Holly motorsports manager, uh, working with, uh, race shops and, uh, tuners, uh, helping them with their issues with the Holly product. And uh, I finally decided, you know, after Holly had a restructuring, that it was time to do my own thing and, and go out and, and show my wares. And it's just been a fantastic trip since uh, July of last year. Um, but, uh, but you know, I'm, it's very, very exciting to uh, continue to grow. And this is a very exciting opportunity for me to uh, talk about my, my stick shift career with you guys. Uh, it's long and storied. And uh, we'll, you know, share some of the odds, highs and lows of stick shift racing throughout the years. Well, uh, I want to hear more about it because <clears throat> your car is like pulling a wheel stand and mine never does that. So you've got <laughs> something figured out, right? <laughs> you know, it's really interesting. So this was, uh, this is a picture from drag week. When I, um, uh, when I had my smaller motor in it, uh, it was a bow tie block it was 565 inches. Well, that's, we the smaller, that's the smaller motor. That's the smaller motor, right? Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but that was that was a true pump gas deal. It was nine and a half to one. We were going ten flat, ten twenties with that car, um, and it used to yank the front tires like a champ. I mean, it was awesome. I actually someone posted not too long on Facebook with this thing dragging a bumper at Maple Grove a bunch of years ago. And uh, ever since I put the big motor in it and changed around the weight in the front of the car, that car has has struggled to uh, to wheel stand. 
And what does it um, what does it weigh? So that's a really good question. Uh, we actually just got, got done scaling the car. So the car, before we started scaling and putting weight on it, was uh, uh, just about thirty nine hundred pounds. Uh, so it's 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 not uh, it's not yes. rich burrito weight, but it sure is a tank. It's uh, you know, you're it's, in good company here. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, but we scaled the car and the whole idea was to try and get the car, you know, um, uh, I guess side to side, right. And try to get the, the front to rear bias. So we put some weight in the car. It's now 4,100 pounds with me in it. Uh, but now we have some uh, weight distribution. The car feels completely different. And, and I'm interested to see if, if the time that we spent trying to get the car to even out and level out, uh, will make a difference in getting the car to work better. And, and one of the other things too, we, I decided to do was get rid of the small tire. You know, everybody's everybody's going to the smaller tire and even a drag tire. Like I know Frank Romano was was working with it at Sick Week, and I take my hat off to that guy. He is really both feet first into the whole dynamic of of tire and clutch. Um, but uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go back old school. I'm putting a big the big 3315 that I built the car around back on it, and uh, put the weight in the car. And I am I'm looking forward to some exciting happenings here coming up shortly at the racetrack with the car. So why don't you tell us? Tell us a little bit about the whole combo. So it's what year the car is, the motor, the trans, the clutch, yeah. and the rear end, tire size. Yeah, so uh, that car has, my, the 56 has really been a work in progress for the past 30 years. Um, so currently I I, uh, I designed and built a 582 Ford, so 13 to one motor. Um, and all the stuff I've learned at Drag Week before about putting larger cam cores in it, larger lifters, spring oilers, you know, uh, learning that we could put more compression in these motors. I mean, I thought I was pushing the edge at 13 to one here come to find out that's not even the beginning of pushing the edge with pump gas with these things. I actually drive around with that car now with 36 degrees of lead with, with uh, pump gas. It's amazing. But uh, so the motor. That motor is made, amazing. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it really is the technology with the camshafts and the coolant. I spent a lot of time on designing the cooling systems. So that way we can run, run the timing that we're running and, and keep it cool. Um, so uh, on the, on the uh, dyno over the injection connection, it made 935 horsepower to the rear tires and just shy of 800 uh, foot pounds to the rear tires. And I mean, just shy by like two foot pounds. Um, so it's, it's all, a brute. All NA. All NA, absolutely, yeah. And, and I credit that to two things. I credit that to the, the, the Hillborn injection system, the IR manifold, which creates torque. And the thing at 4,600 RPM is making them as 800 foot pounds and it goes right up to just about 6,000. Uh, with the torque so big heavy cars need torque just like you know you guys are doing with uh you know the power adder you're putting torque to the motor um so that's a really stout combination uh i have a heavily modified um ace clutch it's a power force clutch and it's got twin 5135 discs in it still a diaphragm hat and what have you oh yeah the thing drives killer Yes. You no. Know, and, and back in the day, you know, we had these huge, these huge, you know, pressure plates on it, you know, 2,800, 3,200 pounds. You could drive it for a block and park the thing. You know, you're 25 years old. And you're like, I don't want to drive this stupid thing anymore. It hurts. You know, <laughs> don't want that anymore. So we put the diaphragm in it. We had to put a good disc in it to get it to slip and to survive. And that worked out really well. Um, so uh, stick shift, uh, I think probably the best transmission on the whole entire planet, the GF5R from GeForce. That thing is just amazing. And I've had that transmission since 09 and I have beat that thing and put it away wet. I can't tell you how many times. And it has always come back and worked flawlessly. And, and quite frankly, that transmission is so good 
that it makes guys like me that can't shift look like pro stock racers. It is just <laughs> that good. So, you know, um, and, and, and I also have to, uh, I have to say, a, a, and just throwing a stick shift on a car um, on a bell housing is, is not anything you can do it at a level at this, at, you know, at this level, you know, so spending time to green and bell housing, uh, getting the bell housing parallel to the back of the block. Yeah, These are all basic things. And a lot of that, uh, especially the parallelism on the back of the block, I owe to uh, my mentor in the stick shift world of Jody Haig of, of Jody's transmissions, you yeah, know, and he's yeah. like, Andy he says, concentricity is key, but if you're not checking for out a parallel, you're missing a big piece of the, of the puzzle. And uh, he wasn't kidding. This thing really does shift like butter when you dial in the bell housing away. But anyhow, um, uh, quick, quick question. So yeah. I'm not super familiar with that transmission, but that has a it's a five speed with the long style shifter. Is that correct? Sure. Yes. So this is the uh, the long vertigate shifter on it. Yes, absolutely. Sweet. What a great shifter. Pistol grip. I, I used the T handle for years. And that, that's what I grew up with, the T handle. And then one day I was like, you know what? I'll have to try to pistol grip. And I did, and I'll never look back. That is so comfortable to shift. And if you've ever so seen cool. those videos of um, uh, uh, Erica Enders in her car when she's shifting that thing with that pistol grip right next to her, it looks like she's literally like in her Cadillac, just rowing down the stick, you know, rowing down the road. It's amazing. <laughs> and you're not kidding. It really is just that easy with that, with that stick shift. So I'm telling you, if I can drive a stick shift car, Anybody can drive a six shift car with the right equipment. So, I mean, that's, it, it really does make it for a, a fun thing. We're using all five gears too. I mean, I go through traps in fifth gear at 7,200 RPM. What's Sorry. No, I'm sorry. We are shipped in all five gears, you know, so a lot of the stuff's overdrive. This is one-to-one -one in, in fifth gear. And you have a pretty big tire, pretty tall tire. So what, that ring, ring and pinion was like 456 or something. Yeah, it's, a, it's a 56. Yeah. Nice. You know, I was thinking about putting a 488 in it this year, but I'm making a lot of changes and I don't want to change and upset the whole Apple car too much. I'd like to go through just a little bit higher. So 71, 7200, I think is, is not there yet. I, I, I think it's 7600 should probably where I should be with that, that combination. Oh yeah. Big motor. Like just rip it right, right to the moon. I love it. Yeah, right. Well, that's really not to the moon, but uh, it's, no, not, it's not good for me. <laughs> it's more than I spin mine. So I'm yep. like, Ooh, that's high. But yeah. What, that's what's awesome. the boring stroke? Uh, so it's four six hundred by four inch three seventy five. So it's five hundred eighty two inches um, and a short deck combination. Fifty five millimeter cam, nine thirty seven Crower lifter. Um, you know, I did everything I could nice. to try and keep the drivetrain or valve train. I th these things are all about valve train. You know, yeah, um, start doing DNA stuff. DNA stuff is such a different world because, you know, we're 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 doing everything we can to maximize performance within the available, you know, atmospheric pressure that we have. And it's all about framing in the cylinder as best we can. And that's, that's really one of the, the nice things I like about the IR. It's just, it's crazy um, how well that stuff works. So do you have a gear, do you have a gear vendor on it? I do not. Okay. I do not. I'm doing something a little different this year where my old street tire was 33 inches high and I'm putting a 35 inch tall tire on it. And um, <clears throat> I'm taking a nod from some of the guys like Brian Robbins, um, and, um, you know, Bryant with the, um, uh, Javelin, you know, they run a tall, deep, uh, thick CPEC tire. So I'm going to put a 35 inch tall tire on it and, uh, doing the math, I should get around 72 mile an hour at 3,200 RPM. And I'll run this motor at 3,200 RPM. It's as smooth as butter for hours. And, and with that big, tall truck tire, you go right through the mud. No problem. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know, if you guys are down in Atlanta, right. 
when they had that hurricane coming in. Yep. Holy yep. smokes, I wish I had mud tires back then. You should have seen some of the stuff we were driving through. But that was crazy. Yeah, so yeah, so I it, it will make it an all-terrain vehicle if need be. So perfect, perfect. And what was the first what was the first year you did drag week? Uh 2016. Okay. 2016 was my first year. Yeah, you know, and the infamous story is is I was working PRI. Uh, to Hillborn booth. And I had made friends with Glenn Hunter years ago. I had sold him some parts when he's still running the supercharger on his 56. And he's like, oh, come on, man. Come on, man. You got to do drag week. Come on, man. You got to do it. I'm like, oh, man, man, I, 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 I know I want to do it. I've been dying to do it. And I finally committed to him there. You know, it's kind of like, you know, at the, that last moment, I'm going to go. And then I went home and I told my wife, I'm going to drag week. She's like, okay. So, you know, but yeah, I mean, Glenn had goaded me for a long time to go to drag week and I finally succumbed to the pressure and, and finally went. Yeah. So that was, that was my first one. And I, and I never looked back. It was an absolutely amazing experience. And actually all the drag and drive stuff is amazing experience. I've, I've done uh, the stuff at sick week. I've done the stuff at Midwest drags. And uh, I mean, that's all the same type of, of, of exciting camaraderie that just can't be matched uh, anywhere. And so it really is, is, is a passion. Now, some of the guys are, you know, able to go a lot more than I am and they are very, very passionate, but man, when I, when I get there, it's, 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 I call it adrenaline from Monday morning till Friday night. And then you yeah, yes. catch yes. up. Yeah. So, and, uh, so I have, I, sorry, Rich, go ahead. No, you go ahead. So I, I am curious about the clutch. You said it's an old a style, but it's a diaphragm clutch Yeah. and you run two fifty one thirty five discs in it. Yeah, I sure. I sure do. And, you know, <clears throat> we talk about perseverance. We talk about trying stuff. So this is um, this has got a, a billet hat on it, uh, and it has three little fingers on it uh, for weight. Um, and they actually oh. do work. You take those off, and that thing will literally drive right through the clutch every time. So these these little weights do work. So, so it's, I said to my, it's almost a combination then. Yeah. We'll okay. call it a hybrid, but not really – Really not as adjustable as an adjustable clutch because obviously you can't adjust hat pressure. You can if you wanted to shim it. And you, they actually have different diaphragms. But really, where you, I think you have some adjustabilities in, in these three little weights that they have. Okay. So I say, you know what? I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be slick here. I'm going to pretend this is a racing clutch. So I I took one of these I took one of these uh, sets of fingers and I drilled little holes in them and I did a little math in my head and I said, you know what? I need to add about 13 grams of weight out there per, per finger. Per finger. Now okay. keep in mind. That the weight is in is it in the center, you know, towards the center where you have it for a regular, you know, off the lever, off of a, a regular slipper clutch. This is all the way in the outside. So you take thirteen grams and you multiply it by like ten thousand, and that's what the weight is. Oh, so the wow. first time, oh yeah. So the first time I let the clutch go at seventy two hundred, uh, and the burnout, it literally stripped all the weight off the outside of that clutch. I mean, it ripped everything apart. It it got into the bell housing. There was smoke, fire, brimstone stuff fluting out, shooting out of the bell housing. And I'm like, what happened? Well, that was my first real experience of how different the weight is as you start to place it, you know, outside. Now, I had no idea it was going to magnify it that much. So if sure. I understand this correctly, then you're actually placing the weight after the pivot on the OD, the outside diameter of the flywheel. Well, yeah, basically the lever that's action. You have the lever action multiplying that weight. Correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. So that the, okay. the weight is actually all the way outside on the outer part of the diaphragm had assembly. Where it so, has the largest moment of inertia. Am I right like, in the terminology? Valuable lesson. Wow. Valuable lesson. <laughs> Broken parts everywhere. <laughs> but, you know, you got to fail to learn. And uh, that was a really, 
really interesting learning experience. And so, uh, so yeah, so that was, that was, that was fun. But, but I, like I said, I went from the rag and I went to the cinder iron disc was the best thing I ever did. It's a little bit noisy and a little bit cantankerous, but man, when it's, when it's time to, time to rode a thing down a racetrack, it works really, really, really well. And nice. recovers nice. Recovers nice too, right? Like, and, and it, and it, and it kind of does, you know, it doesn't recover, recover real nice like a slipper clutch, you know, where you get that little bit of slip down low, but it certainly wasn't as bad as, as the rag where it was instant on. And that, that was just brutal. That, that, that broke parts just as much as leaving the line. So yeah. are, you, are you using the clutch to shift? I am. Yeah, I sure am. Now I tried. I really did. I, I had Leonard uh, long. He was, he was uh, uh, giving me direction and we were talking about um, first gears and they made them. Um, so that way there was, there was no uh, bevel to hold the, uh, you know, the, the first gear in and what have you. And so it's called a zero face. We zero faced it. And I'm telling you two hands, I cannot pull that thing out of first gear without a clutch. It just will not happen. All the weight and all the torque it's done. It's just, yeah. So I do use, I do use the, 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 the pedal, uh, to shift the car. And is that all mechanical setup hydraulic? What do you have? Yeah, it's a hydraulic. I bought a, I bought this McLeod setup. Oh gosh. Uh, let's see here. When did I put the big block in it, uh, 1996, 1996, I've had a hydraulic hydraulic release in the car. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Wow. So, so I was just, I was in college in 96 and my car was sitting in storage. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I was, I was, I was uh, ready to get married. You know, I was, I was putting a big block in the car and <clears throat> life large, you know? So that's yeah, awesome. a long time ago. I mean, I've had this car now for over 30 years. That's yeah, awesome. That's so that's it is, awesome. it, it's become a part of me. It's, it's become something that has defined me. It was the car that got me my job at Hillborn fuel injection. Um, so yeah, so, I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's not going anywhere, uh, going anywhere. It's, 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 a. am married to it at this point. So nice. let's, nice. uh, let's talk about your starting line <clears throat> procedure. So what, what gear do you do your burnout in? You know, it really depends. And, uh, so, um, here's the, here's, here's the real, real quickly, just uh, you might guys might find this a funny story. So anyhow, when it was a small block car, I had bought a Kevlar disc, uh, from, uh, McLeod racing. And uh, I'm out there doing burnouts with it. And I, don't know, I get in the third burnout and I knocked the disc out of the car. I mean, smoked it. And I called up Red Roberts and I said, hey, I got a problem here. I smoked the clutch. He goes, how'd you smoke the clutch? And I said, I was doing a burnout. He says, obviously, son, you have no idea what you're doing. But he said in a nice fatherly way. He says, let me show you and tell you how to do a burnout with a stick shift car. And uh, those are lessons you never forget. So <laughs> uh, depending on, um, depending on how I feel on the size of the tire, I do a third or fourth gear. Wow. Third or fourth gear. Absolutely. To get wheel speed out of it. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, it goes right on the limiter, uh, right around 7,600. And I let the clutch glow go and it's got to snap the tire. And then I'll, I'll just run it through that gear depending on how I feel. So. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think about Tom Stark telling us he does fourth gear burnouts and yeah. Here, me and Rich are just second gear, I don't know, 60 mile an hour wheel speed. Like, I feel pretty good about that, but clearly that is inadequate as hell. <laughs> yeah, so it, you're, you're, you're right. I, I noticed that in second gear, there's not enough wheel speed. So I'm like, okay, here we go. Uh, so third gear, and then I finally got the Kahunis up to try it in fourth gear, and that worked out awesome. <laughs> so, but, but yeah, the key there, the key there is you just right to the moon and let the clutch rip. You know, don't pussyfoot around, man. Let that thing go. And It'll come right up, and if it does, you're in good shape. Woo. Yikes! And yeah. that uh, 
And then you'll probably, I mean, I'm guessing with that wheel speed, you pretty much have to go through and then back up, or can you get it stopped before? Oh, I, don't, I don't go through there's, there's a lot of There's a lot of different um, uh, ways that people look at doing burnouts. Um, I'm of these of the school of thought of I don't want to shock the uh, drivetrain, so I try not to chirp the tire coming out of the burnout. I'll actually roll out of the burnout, jam the clutch in, get out of the throttle at the same time, and just roll forward up to the line. Um, so if you if you catch me chirping chirping a tire as uh, as I'm coming out of burnout, I've not done it correctly in my opinion. Um, so I try to I try to take it easy on the drivetrain uh, by not chirping a tire. And it seems to work so far, so good. So you're snapping the throttle and the clutch at the same time, just snapping the throttle, close and hitting the clutch. Yep, right, exactly. Pretty it's much the same, same time, exactly. So I just kind of roll up. <clears throat> I just roll right up and I roll right to the line, put it in first gear, and uh, you know, with these with these transmissions, uh, especially like if you're searching for third gear or fourth gear, if you don't let the clutch out and let it find the gear, you could be halfway into gear. And if you let the clutch out, you've just knocked a gear set out of that transmission, you know, because the dog rings haven't engaged. So right. I'll roll up and as I'm rolling up, I'll, you know, I'll squeeze the lever and I'll put it up in the first gear and let it positively, positively engage before I put it into the stage beam. So, and I've never heard a transmission. Um, and you can, you can see it sometimes in some of the class racers, they'll, they'll be banging things around as they're trying to let the clutch out and it's because they don't have it in gear all the way. That's, yeah. <clears throat> that, yeah, it's pretty interesting. It's, it's amazing the things that you do, and you forget to talk about, but I'm the same. Like even when I uh, <clears throat> when I go to do my second gear burnout, like as I'm coasting up there, I'll make sure it's in second gear before right. I I do my burnout. Because if I try to put it in and it's like half in, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna wreck something. You absolutely possibly are absolutely, and that's all part of the technique you learn. You know, you do it so many times now, it becomes second nature. You know. Um, yeah, and I'll say too, I guess, you know, because Rich and I's transmission is face plated in first through fourth. Mm -hmm. So I noticed too on the street when I'm coming up to a stop, before I stop, I, I just, it slides right into first gear. Yep. If you stop and try and do it, it either bangs or it doesn't quite go. You got to fiddle with the clutch a little bit. If you do it as you're rolling up, it just, just goes right in, doesn't make any noise. Everybody's like, how do you drive that thing on a street? I was like, well, if you've ever driven a truck, you can drive this transmission <laughs> on a street. So, yes, yes. You know, it sounds, I always will say, if you don't shift them right, it sounds just like a broken dump truck. It's awesome. Oh my gosh, it's <laughs> terrible. And, and the worst thing with these transmissions, wait, I guess you guys are, are um, a synchro in fifth. Fifth and uh, sixth. Yep, yep you're synchro. Okay. Yeah. Fifth wait, and wait. sixth. And reverse. And reverse. <laughs> well, well, this thing makes noise in, in every gear. And the interesting thing about this is when you're driving down the road and you're, you're in fifth gear and you come up to an intersection, you know, and you can see the light turn red and you click the thing in neutral and you start cruising down, you know, you're doing 45, 50 mile an hour and the light turns green. It's the scariest <laughs> thing you'll ever do. So <clears throat> because the thing doesn't have any synchronous in fifth gear. So you push the clutch in and you grab the, the handle. All right. And then you jam that thing with everything you've got in a fifth gear and hope it doesn't come unglued because it bangs like someone is beating it with a hammer. Boom! <laughs> and the first couple of times you do that, it's just absolutely <clears throat> unnerving. I mean, like it's coming apart. But uh, but those are some of the things that you have to do with some of these face plate transmissions um, in order to to drive them. Like you said, like going around a turn, I get halfway around the turn and you just click it right in the second gear like butter and you drive around the turn and you accelerate out. And you have to learn how to do that. And with a vertigate shifter, so if you, if you, um, 
like you're driving down a road and you do have to uh, change a gear, you want to go from first to third, you have to actually actuate it in the second and then lightly move it up in the third in order for it to, to gauge because it's a vertical gauge shifter. You can't, you can't find an H pattern. So you have to find the H pattern with the handle. And that took me about a year and a half to figure out to get that just right. But I can drive this transmission like it's a regular transmission, put any gear you want at any time um, uh, because of, of learning how to drive it like a truck. It's basically a truck trans at that, that, at that point. Nice. No. I can't say I've ever driven one of those. No, I want to oh. back you up, though. <clears throat> I got I got two questions already. You're gonna make me. Yeah, uh, we're gonna we're gonna have some fun. <laughs> uh, let's go back to the burnout. So, talk to us a little bit about why you don't want to chirp the tires. Because, um, yeah, I'll just let you you describe it. Because uh, obviously, you know what you're doing. I'm just yeah. So that's that's an instant load and instant shock in a drivetrain. And uh, why beat the car up in a burnout? The burnout's the condition to prepare the car for the race. You know, I'm going to do all kinds of awful things to it by the time I get the car staged. Why, <laughs> why give it another reason to hate me before I get there? And that's and that's all. So it's it's just, you know, and it's just, uh, it's, it's discipline. It's kind of like, drive, like driving this motor with a pump gas, you know, pump gas in it uh, with um, uh, 13 to 1. You know, you can't be beating on this car with the pump gas in it. You're going to sh dramatically shorten its life. So I've learned to become disciplined with the car and drive it for the purpose that it's made for. And uh, that's just, that's how I look at it. There's no sense of beating it up. I'm, I'm looking for longevity. Okay, so when you say chirp tires, so <clears throat> when, when I do a burnout, I will, um, and it was funny, I remember my buddy going, you see this thing attached to the side of your car here? That's a mirror. It's for looking at the smoke coming off the tire. <laughs> and I'm like, all right. He's like, you're not getting any smoke. And it, he's like, how? And, and, anyways, so <laughs> when I do a burnout, yeah, as soon as it starts to pull the motor down is typically when I push in the clutch. Is that the, is that what you're describing too? Yes, yes, you can feel it. Okay. Right, you can start to feel the tire. And I don't even know why you're asking me. Where's Frank Romano? I mean, he is the burnout master, oh. you know? So I hope to one day do a burnout as good as Frank Romano. But the long <laughs> shirt of it is, is that, yeah, you know, it's it's all about the wheel speed. And Frank, it's great wheel speed. So I'm, I'm thinking you guys are going to be trying third gear burnouts here the next time you go out. Ooh, it maybe, maybe. Not with, I'll be, not with I'm my radio, right not. I, I don't think it needs it. So uh, yeah, you're right. The radio's a different animal, isn't it? Right? Yeah. A little short and sweet. Yeah. Um, and so my second question was: so when you're going from fourth to fifth, can you? So you can pull it into neutral between gears. You? No? Oh, you're talking about just driving it down the road or yeah. racing? Or? Yeah. No, driving down the road. Oh yeah, absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. And, and that's really interesting. That's actually the valid point. So when you shift it into neutral and you, you come across the light, maybe you're slowing down, you're doing 25 mile an hour. You can't stop yes. to put it in first gear and you're going too fast to try and put it in that gear first or second gear. So you've got to bring it up to first gear to reset the vertigate. And then you got to lightly work it through the gears to put it in third gear to continue going. So right. yeah, you can push it in neutral, but it's finding the correct gear from there. And it's just, it's just, knowing where the, the gates are in order to get it into that gear. So it's it's seamless at this point, but otherwise you're stuck. You know, you are you put it in fifth gear and you lug it out, but now I've figured out how to vertigate it. So it's it's all good. So, so does double clutching work at all with that transmission? You know what, Rich? I might have to try that. I've never done that ever. Yeah, so the way I drive mine on the street is, yeah, I, uh, I'm in first gear, start going. I pull it into neutral. I let the clutch out get everything to align 
and then I push the clutch back in and then I pull it into gear and it's the difference between, yeah, it's, it's that amazing. Is a great idea. And, and you know what, for a guy that keeps talking about driving a truck trans, you can tell I've never driven a truck. Because <laughs> I think that's a, popular, that's a popular way to drive a truck, right? You double clutch it. Anyhow, so no, I've, I've, I've never tried that, but that's a great tip. I'm going to try that. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I don't know, like with the Vertigate, I just wasn't sure if you could do that or not, but uh <clears throat> As Absolutely. long as there's neutral, as long as there's neutral between the gears, you should be able yes. to do that. And yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. I've been with friends who are driving their faceplate transmission and they're in neutral. And then it's like, yeah, it's a bit of a shit show at that point. Like, <laughs> it is. Oh no, what, what should they just jam it in? <clears throat> yeah. That's right. Every, everybody hold on. It's going to get exciting <laughs> in half a second. That's right. <laughs> yeah. it's like... Okay, yeah. so you've, you've done a burnout. You're yep. rolling out. Um, do you use a brake pressure gauge or anything to stage, or you just pretty much roll into yeah. this? Well, I guess NA, you don't have to. You just yeah. you just bump it in. Where's your line lock button? Uh, it's actually on the side of the shifter, just like old school, on the side of the shifter. It's still an old Hearst roll control. I'm telling you, this car is old as dirt. I mean, the stuff that's on this car, I mean, it's the stuff from 1980s. I mean, other than a big tire, I, I, I could probably put a, a rear leaf spring on and shackles. And I'd be back in 1965 again with half the stuff that's on this car. Yeah, so it's on the side of the shifter. Yep. Sweet. Sweet. So, and, uh, then, and then launching, what RPM do you typically launch at? Or you vary that depending on track, too? I, I really do. And you know what? Uh, back to perseverance again. You know, I've been trying to find this car since I put the big motor in it. And it's been a... You know, I used to launch the car at 4,800, 5,200 with the other motor. Uh, today, uh, if I really want the car to work right now, before I, I scaled it, 36 to 3,800, that is it. That's really? all that car will take and work, yeah. Huh. And then the clutch the clutch is slipping for you? Yeah, it sure is. You can see it in the graph. You know, if I get it just right and it slips, I could probably put more power to it, but it's about consistency in the clutch and consistency in the driver at that point. And um, so I'm still trying to find that, that, feet, that sweet spot. That's what it comes down to. How, how long does it slip for? So it depends. On a good pass. It depends. Um, I don't know if I could tell you in a time, but I can tell you in how it works. You know what I'm saying? So when I'm looking at drive shaft, really is what I'm looking at too. But you yeah. can see, you could see the graph and the RPM. And the whole idea is I'm trying to get the two to slip to a certain point, right? Yeah. I don't want the two to match right away. I want them to kind of join as I'm coming up in the gear. So I don't know, two tenths of a second tops. Right. Really? really? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. It's, it's, it's not, it's not a whole lot. It's not a whole lot. And I think, uh, you know, looking at some other graphs with some radial stuff, they're, they're slipping them really hard to try and get the, the cars. Yeah. Rich, you and I have talked about this quite a bit. Um, cause you're slipping three quarters of a second to a second. Yeah. This actually, <clears throat> since I switched to radials and when I went to, Florida there, that thing was slipping 1.4 seconds. Oh my gosh. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah well, so I mean, but you need to do that, right? Because you can't recover with that, with that radial. So you've got to, you got to take the hit out of it somehow. Yeah. And how do you take it out? I mean, obviously the clutch is the first line of defense there. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So what about timing? Do you sorry. play with timing at all on launch? So yes, I've been playing with timing, taking out timing to try and calm it, calm it down. Um, I've had as much as 16 degrees out of that thing to try and get it to, to work. Um, so, but it's just like anything else, the more timing I pull out of it, the slower the car is. 
So I'd love to be able to put the timing back in it. And hence the reason going back to the big tire, you know, I'm tired of, I'm tired of spinning my wheels. <laughs> if you say with the small <laughs> tire, so I've got it, let's use it. You know, I mean, there's yep. some romanticism with the small tire, but I built it as a big tire car back in 1995. And I'm going to, I think I'm going to go back to that, to that ideology and, and, and let the tire work a little bit more. Um, so, and I've switched tire brands. I've done a whole bunch of things to try and get this, to get the car to work this year. Do you so, have a favorite and do you run, well, do they make a stiff wall on anything but the 28105? Yeah, they do. And, you know, Mickey Thompson was my go-to tire brand for years. And they, right now they don't have anything for us on uh, a big tire, unless you have a 16 inch rim. I don't have a 16 inch rim. So, uh, you know, it's really funny looking at the newest uh, Hot Rod magazine. They had a uh, an expose on the uh, the Hemi cars, the super stock AH cars. I saw that. That was awesome yeah. write-up, yeah. Really, I mean, and, you know, we all talk about, oh, you probably go fast with an automatic. Well, yeah, in my case, I probably would. But these cars are so signed south, the fastest cars in class were stick shift. And, uh, you know, take a nod from them. They're big, heavy cars with lots of power. They're all running Goodyear tires. So I put Goodyear's on the car this year, a oh. stiff sidewall. Uh, got a, a recommendation from one of their uh, distributors, and we're going to give that a shot. No tubes, taking get rid of the tubes, get rid of all that uh, reciprocating mass, and we're going to try and 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 let this tire eat and do what it needs to do. And how much pressure are you running those? I'm going to have to start from scratch. I don't know where to start with these tires, to be honest with you. Uh, but my 3111.5s, uh, I was down at nine and a quarter pounds. Wow. wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, it is interesting the different challenges that we all have. I mean, you're yeah. an NA super heavy car, and you run a big tire. You built it for a big tire. I think that's cool. I'm I'm a big heavy car on a small tire. Yeah. Um, yeah. We all have different challenges, and I just I'm just amazed at the amount of different ways that the stick guys get creative and figure that oh, stuff out. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember yeah. you telling me about your clutch the first <laughs> time, and I was. Well, when did I, yeah, I think I met you in 2016. Um, and I was like, man, that sounds, that sounds wild. I, I can't even <laughs> visualize what that was. I was running just an off the shelf clutch at that point. And uh, yeah, it, that, that's pretty cool. You know, and the whole drag, let's face it, all drag and drive thing. It's all about time management too. And, yeah. you know, the, if, if I, of all the things I have to do, including playing with the clutch, it's, there's probably, like I said, there's, there's ET there in that clutch. But it is a lot of work to set up a clutch um, at the racetrack, and you know, and you can you could still find you know the spot where you're at, but really it's not the exact same spot you were at, right? So a lot of those things change, especially with the base pressure. And unless you're running no base pressure, you just back it all the way off or whatever, or you have a full tight. Who knows? You know that's real simple. But finding that happy medium to try and get consistency out of it, I think is going to be a difficult thing to do. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. What's uh, what's the best sixty foot you've run in that car? One thirty two. Uh, is it consistently in the one threes? Uh, it's it's not. It's consistency in the high one threes though. So one thirty six, one thirty eight. That's you know. pretty good. That's, That's pretty not so good. bad. I'm looking That's for some twenties this year. My goal is some twenties this year. Damn. So. Uh, my goal is the one thirties this year. <laughs> so oh, is it? The <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we, yeah. Do, we do a bunch of our work at the back end of the track. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. <clears throat> Exactly. I don't have that luxury, baby. It's it's <laughs> to killer, and I it's the hardest part of the car. After after you hit second gear, it's it's a walk in the park, you know. Yep. But getting to yep. second gear sometimes, and I look at my graphs, you know, and I'm I'm in first gear for up to a second and eight tenths, in some cases. I mean, I'm in first gear forever, you know. Yeah. And I go back to talking, looking at graphs with Leonard Long, you know, 
And uh, I, I forget what podcast it was. Uh, you guys were talking about the uh, shifting times, I guess, you know, first gear. Yep. And we've got, you know, uh, so many NA cars in seven tenths of a second, they're pulling the lever. Seven tenths of a second, they're in second gear. And I'm like, let me see here. If I can shift it seven, seven tenths of a second, that'd be 1.2 seconds, <laughs> 1.1 seconds out of my, my ET. That'd put me smack right down in the bottom eights. Of course, that's never going to happen. But, you know, <laughs> being in first gear and letting your RPM do this and do that and trying to figure out when you're going to shift uh, slows these cars down dramatically. And that's all part of finding the, the sweet spot with it, you know, so. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, I, I know that, like you said, the, the amount of time reduced, especially on a boosted car, when you're off the power to make the shift, it's significant. When, yeah, you know, years ago when I was kicking the clutch to shift, pretty much the fastest shift, and we've talked about this before, but the quickest shifts I could see was like a 0.225. That was like the fastest. Okay, yep. Um, and then, then they would just go downhill from there. And mm -hmm. now with the clutchless shifting, it's typically about a 0.112. Wow. And I have seen on a 3.4, I've seen a 0 0.04. Like it's ridiculous how fast it'll shift sometimes. Yeah, that's that's great. That's got but, that's got to help. But what I what I've calculated in just going from kicking the clutch to clutchless shifting, I saved like 0.445 seconds of time where I was not off the power. Yeah, no, and e even that, and then of course the acceleration rate of the car itself. You've already yeah. stopped forward momentum. You know, that's, that's, there's something you said for that. Maybe I should consider shifting without the clutch in other gears as opposed to first gear, you know, so I get in second yeah. gear and then start trying to rotate in second to third and third to fourth and fifth, you know? Maybe yeah. That. Yeah. And, and Rich and I have a little bit different tactic that we do it, but it works. I mean, it works really, really well. And, and what's interesting too, is when you look at a data log of when we were kicking the clutch and when we're not, there were these huge dips in boost when you kick the clutch Oh, it would have to come sure. back in now. It's just a little boop, boop. It's just a Very little, good. little burp. Right. So yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. That, that's a good idea. I might try that <laughs> instead. I always learn something new from you guys. I love it. <laughs> um, well, thanks. We, I'm yeah, flattered. We just, about, <laughs> <laughs> we, we just about never asked this question. Um, but after drag week, I'm curious. Are you running 1350 U joints in your car or anything bigger? Uh, I am. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm running to. I know that uh, Steve Morris, um, uh, Clark Rosenthal, they they were both running 1350, and yeah, they, they were not cutting it for those guys. So what what's yeah. the next step up from that? Is a 1430? Yeah, it's some. It's I don't. Like I really. I don't know. I really don't know. It's but out I of mean, a dump truck, though, right? I mean, it's a dump truck. You just it's probably yeah. a dump truck. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and those guys are making so much power. I mean, it's it's berserk. You know, I mean, yeah. I got I got a lot of weight and I'm shocking the drivetrain, but actually I just put the drive shaft back in the car today and the U-joints are mint and they've been in that and that U-joint or that drive shaft, oh gosh, it's gotta be six years now. And, and what kind, wow. Yeah. What kind of drive shaft? It's a four inch chrome Molly Mark Williams deal. Oh, uh chrome Molly. Awesome. Uh, with all of his billet yoke and the whole nine yards for the G Force. The G Force has a as a bearing output shaft. Um, so it's oh. got a special yoke for that. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's killer. I mean, it's a beautiful piece and, you know, I don't know, I don't know if carbon fiber is ever going to be in my future with some of the stuff I've seen, you know, with the way they come apart and 
you know, the mess that they are and how good yeah. this is. I just can't, these drive shafts are so good. There's no sense in messing with that. Is so, your car a four-link car? What's that? Is yours a four-link in your car? No, it's not. It's a ladder bar. Oh, it's okay. a ladder bar. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yep. And Rich, yes. yours is a, you have a chromoly drive shaft too, right? Yeah, I have a three, I think it's a three-inch. Okay. Nice. Nice. Yeah, you know, and it's it, and I've I've broken so much stuff. I call it the wall of shame. I've got transmission cases, rear ends, yokes, <laughs> ring and pinion. You know, I, I've got all this broken stuff, and I finally said, forget it. I, I'm going to put the best stuff I can buy and put it in the car, and not have to worry about it. And so far, that plan B is working pretty good. That sounds yeah. exactly like Frank Romano. That's exactly what he says, and I I second yeah. that. You've got to have the best components in there. You really do. You're going to do this at this level. I mean, it's just absolutely. the way it is. A absolutely. I mean, I had a Dana 60 in the car for a couple of years. You know, I cut it out about an F-250, the boneyard, narrowed it the whole nine yards, put caps in and all this other stuff. And I had 40-spine gun dual ax axles in it. I had, I thought, the best components you can. And I broke three ring and pinions in one year. <laughs> you know, so I'm breaking all these ring and pinions. And a friend of mine gets me a, a hold of, a, gets me in touch with a guy by the name of Steve Klukey. And he's a big stiff shift guy. He races a... Uh, uh, a Mopar, small block Mopar. It's an eight-second deal, uh, and it's got a um, it's got a um, a Lenko in it. So uh, I get Steve on the phone. I was like, Steve, how do you get these? I mean, I'm out of my mind. I'm putting these these rear ends in. I'm like, ah, how how do you keep your Dana 60 in your car alive? He goes, it's really simple. I was like, okay. He goes, <laughs> after every third pass, you've got to shim the pinion gear. And I say, excuse me, did you say after every third pass you got to? shim the pinion gear he goes absolutely i was like you're out of your mind who in their right mind is going to shim the pinion gear and at dana 60 if you've never had one apart you've got to spread the case all the all the shims are underneath the bearings everywhere so if you shim the pinion you got to take the carrier bearings off and redo all that i'm like steve there's no way i'm doing that he goes we well, might as well give it to the rear it was the best advice i ever had <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm, I'm assuming it's a nine inch yeah it sure is um, nice you know, and, and you pull out all the stops. This is um, a, a Moser M9. Uh, my buddy, Kevin Tully, who's a, an amazing welder and fabricator, built this rear for me. And it's got a, a through bolt aluminum center section from Moser in it, a 456 and a 40 spline gun drilled axle. And quite frankly, I, I think one year I had to put axle bearings in it. I took the ring and pinion out of it. And it's that's been in the car now for close to eight years. And I'm just starting to get, get an edge on the back side of the ring gear. I mean, I, I probably got another year left in this thing and I'll replace it. But, oh my gosh, I never had to shim opinion gear ever again, you know, <laughs> and then, and I mean, I, and, and, you know, and these, these components have been in the car for years and years and years, you know, and I, and you no, know, knock on wood, you know, that they don't break because they are just that good. And, and so I'm hoping to continue in that, in that same vein of just, you know, doing the maintenance to it and not have to touch them again. So. So let's let's talk a little bit about your suspension, shocks, those types of things. Talk yeah. about what you're, you you already said it's a ladder bar setup. Yep. So, yep. so it's a ladder bar, and you know what? And um, so you've got uh, the 10, 10 five racers or stick shift, you know, in a dark ten five class, slightly light uh, lighter cars. But one of the fastest cars right now, um, uh, besides uh, Leonard, was um, uh, the guy that Ben works with, Ben Strader. Um, oh. That that car's a, that car's a ladder bar car. At least it was a couple years ago. Huh. And uh, that thing's 60 foot's like nobody's business. So I know a ladder bar car can work. Um, maybe it's it's a little bit not as forgiving as a, a four-link car. 
Um, so uh, I've modified the front end. I've got about seven and a quarter inches of front suspension travel to try and get nice. the car to pitch rotate. Nice. So, oh, a lot of work to get that to happen. And that that really did help the car. I mean, it, it really does work. Um, you know, so springs and shocks are key. I've got a Moroso front spring in it uh, to try and get all the weight transfer. Uh, and, and Viking has really done a great job with the shocks. Uh, I work with Mike over there and we've done some revalving, um, you know, uh, with the heavy weight of the car and hitting as hard as I do, I, I need more rebound control than, than your average automatic car. So he's helped me with revalving and uh, the car really seems to be liking what we're doing with the rear shock to try and control the rear end. Um, you know, so, and, so what did you do to get so much front end travel out of that thing? Like, what is it stock? So stock uh, was about three and a quarter inches, about three and a half. You more than you like doubled it. Yeah, I doubled it. Yeah. So I used a one inch ball joint spacer and dropped it down. And then what happened is <laughs> where uh, off the chassis is a, uh, a hump, if you will, right behind the ball joint that actually has your stop, your, your lower control arm stop. Um, I had to cut that all out of the car. So I cut that out, allowed the ball joint to drop all the way. And then I put my own stop on a lower control arm instead. Um, and that seems to be working, but yeah, to, to get that front end to droop as much as I wanted it to required a little bit of surgery and it worked out really, really well, um, for that particular application. That's so awesome. Bill, Bill, tell us what you learned today. Cause you were playing with shocks and chassis. And... Yeah. So yes, tell us. So Tom Stark educated me a bit today. Um, I don't have the luxury of so much travel front or rear. Uh, I have a Mustang two front end, which. By their design, they're just limited to front end travel because it ends up hitting the shock as it extends. Right. Um, but the front end hasn't been that big of a deal. Um, but the rear end, um, so we were looking at video and it was crushing the tire. As a matter of fact, and even in this picture behind me, you can see that it's like, it looks super cool, but that's really bad. Absolutely. Um, it's like balling up the tire and it's just driving over it and then it cups the tire and then there's much less surface area. And then it just starts to spin and shake and it's just a hot mess. Um, so, you know, and I've always just run 15 pounds of air pressure. That's just what I've done. So Tom was like, all right, let's put, we ended up at 16 pounds and that helped. But then we started playing with the, uh, and I have double adjustable shocks. We started playing with the compression and the rebound. So, mm -hmm. and I had it, um, 10 and 10 so there was kind of middle of the road for the shock adjustment and so he's like let's uh let's speed up the rebound so the extension we want to um let me think here yeah we want to loosen that so it will actually extend harder or faster and then we want to crank down the compression so that it holds it there so we went from 10 and 10 to 5 and 15 Okay. So it was extending faster, but what I didn't know was by tightening the compression as the car is trying to work, by tightening the compression, you're actually loading the tire even more. Hmm. And I just, I didn't know that. Um, so by, by tightening the compression, you're planting the tire even more. And my question was, was if it was balling up the tire today, even though the track was not great, there must have been enough traction to do that before it started to break loose, which maybe that would have been a good time to try the radial. I'm not quite sure because the plan was to try those today, but we never got there. Um, and then the track started to go away. And so there, there wasn't a reason to keep going. I mean, 
we did run a one four two sixty foot, which was pretty decent uh, for my setup. Um, and we'd like to keep whittling that away. I think if the track was better, we would have been able to hit it with more power off the hit and ramped it in quicker. But what type of RPM, Bill? Say that again. What type of RPM? Uh, launching at four thousand, but when I dump the clutch, it runs into the clutch at five. So it okay. it, it spikes a thousand more. So it's hitting the clutch okay. at five thousand RPM. Sure. Um, and it would stick for a little bit, and then about ten feet out, it would start it would start to spin. Um, if we started adding more power, and really what we did is modified the uh, boost curve to just not bring in the boost so hard because it was right, just right. too much. Wow, that sun is really really making it bright for me isn't it let me, <laughs> there you go. Let me switch here a little bit there we go <clears throat> um so yeah that's uh that's what i learned today and, and and really what i learned is that i have a lot more to learn yes oh my gosh, oh <laughs> yeah, my gosh. so I'm, I'm actually trying to find a really good resource either to read about or listen to on on chassis and shock stuff because i really realized today that I don't know a lot about that. Yeah. And and I think like it's so easy to make power, but you've got to get the chassis lined out because if you don't, right. it won't go to the ground. That's right. That's exactly so, right. That's that's the perseverance I think with a six shift car. That's where that all comes in because it's a continuous learning effort. You know, we're not just changing a converter and you know going down the racetrack A to B. I mean we literally are fighting every you know, that first 60 foot is so hard for, for us with our heavy cars and our less than optimal, you know, uh, slipper clutches and all that stuff. And, and to relate my, my experience, the exact opposite, I was crushing a tire. I mean, down to the rim with a tube and the more rebound I put into it, the less it tried. And you you've seen them on some of the stick cars where the rears just come out of them so violently. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. Right in the ground. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So we tighten up the rebound. So, um, you know, I've got, uh, uh, I believe 18 or 19 clicks and I'm, I'm eight from soft on the rebound because I've got a really heavy rebound uh, in it and the compression M that's at six and man, it, it doesn't kill the rim anymore. You know, I'm, you know, and it, the car's actually, it's actually dragging the motor down when I launched a 3,800, when I was done last year at the end of the season, I was dragging the motor down finally. And typically that never happened. It was, it was all or nothing. It was either spin or stick. And now I'm, I was getting consistent with it because nice. the shock was controlling all of that. that. And that seems so key with the stick shift stuff, you know, the right spring and the right shock and just getting to controlling all of that mass that you've just put in the play right away. So yeah, for shock, sure. You have shock sensors on yours? And no, I don't. I wish I did. Yeah. So I know Rich has those and I've, you know, I'm like, God, I don't need to add all this stuff. But boy, now I think that data is can be really yeah, important. Yeah, yep. Well, I just put a dominator in the car. So now I've got the inputs. But I ran an HP for years. I just didn't have enough inputs. But now it's it's really time to get serious. Who, who's tuning it for you? I've got this guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, I, a real, uh, he's a real shooting star, isn't he? <laughs> he is a little, a little whiffy at times, too, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually have Cadillac, Cadillac ride sensors is what I use uh, for shock sensors on my car. Works good really? with the Mega Squirt, but <clears throat> I'll have to yeah, look at Cadillac ride sensors. Okay, cool. Yeah, they're like thirty bucks off uh, Rock Auto. Really? And, uh, wow. Yeah. That, they work. If that's Canadian, then that means they're eight dollars US. Yeah. You, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's today. Tomorrow might be a different story. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I had all my shock data and I sent it to um, Viking. Yeah. And we, we bantered back and forth and uh, you know, I, I've said to Bill and Travis that I think I could have probably went faster down there, but after looking at the shock data, like I know my front shocks were topping out about halfway through first gear, uh, rear, rear was okay. Like it was still extending just about every gear. And then on a gear change, they would change enough that it would almost reset a little bit. Okay. But it's pretty interesting to see that shock data and, yeah. and tell a story with it. Cause I know that I, I was struggling the one day and I wasn't looking at my shock data. And when I got home, I started looking at the shock data and it was, I was, I was putting more power into it. And like within, you know, three tenths of a second, the front shocks were topping out and I would knock the tire off it. Right. Right. Um, yep. But you know, if you don't look at the data, it doesn't help you, but, uh, <laughs> it, it, you know, videos really help, but there's lots of things that go on, especially with our cars that, that the back of the car is yes. going down and to try to figure out if the wheels actually extending out of the chassis yep. or trying, yep. it, it's hard to know. Right. So it's, that, it's that very is, hard. If you don't have the, 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 the angle of your camera just right, you'll not see separation out yeah. of rear tire. You yeah. think, Oh, is that separating? Shock data obviously would tell you that, but if you don't have the right angle, it's very hard to see separation or if the, the you know, the cars is moving in the way you want it to. I totally agree with that. You know, it's 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 a catch twenty two. But uh, thank you for the tip on the shock sensors. I'm I'm overdue yeah. for those for sure. Yeah. So, so Andy, let's let's talk because you have a pretty deep well of knowledge on engine tuning and those types of things. Um, let's talk a little bit about that. So, um, like for example, like turbo cars, Rich and I, you know, for us to build boost on the line, you know, we're pulling timing out of it, and and I've noticed a few things too, but let, let's just stick with that for now. But negative timing on an NA car is going to pull power, but in a boosted car, depending how much you pull, it actually starts to build boost, and that's why we do it. So, what are what are the negatives to that? I mean, a lot of heat in the exhaust. You know, I guess if you stay on there real long, you're going to torch exhaust valves and stuff. But what have you seen? Well, well, let's talk about what you're calling negative timing. You're talking about timing retard as opposed to negative timing, which is firing, um, uh, you know, uh, after top dead center. Okay. Well, so typically you fire an engine before top dead center, but you, when you say negative timing, you're talking about timing retard off of your, your peak time, uh, timing, well, right? Well, I guess in my car specifically, uh, you know, because we're stick shift, we don't have a load against it, like a converter. Right. Yes. I'm literally yeah. negative 35 degrees. Well, so okay, okay. So it's it is it is after top dead center. It's maybe not actually negative thirty five. It's my, I'm subtracting thirty five degrees from my timing, but I know it's probably like negative ten after top dead center. Wow! It's, it spools fast and makes boost on the two step. <laughs> You're right. Uh, you know, I'm I'm from the school of if it works and it's not hurting anything, do it. Right. You know. So everybody everybody's looking for a certain number. You know, we talk about target air fuels. Oh, it's got to be this target air fuel. It's got to be this. It's got to be that. Well, how do you know it's got to be that? And it's all about experimentation and finding out what it wants. If your car wants to be 10 degrees after top dead center for timing in order to build boost because you're creating all that exhaust heat, because that's what you're doing, right? You're you're burning right. the air and fuel in the pipe and not in the cylinder. Right. Yeah, it pops all. and bangs. It sounds pretty sweet. Well, yes, yeah, sure. You know, and if it doesn't bother anything and it creates a boost, and you're able to stage the car and leave. I've got absolutely no problems with that. I really, really don't. 
I really don't. And but but at the same time, I'm probably not the exact guy to ask on that because of of what you're doing. I'm not familiar with it. And so therefore, take that with a grain of salt. But like I said, if it if it's doing what it needs to do, um, and of course you're on a two-step too, so it's gonna pop and bang. And yeah. it's probably gonna even make it worse because you're firing everything in the pipe. Mm. You know, I, I would I would get a I would get a second opinion for sure. But if it doesn't hurt <laughs> and it's working. I, I think you should take your hood off and put a GoPro and we should see what color of cherry your uh <laughs> your headers are. I would well, like it's, it's, I would love such, to see that at the end of a pass, actually. It's such a <laughs> short period of time, you know what I'm saying? It's it's probably not as bad as you think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I pull mine down to uh five degrees. That's okay. where mine is. So I, I don't pull from a certain point. I just tell it when you're on the two step. Five degrees timing is where I want you to be. Yep, sure. <clears throat> Absolutely. In, in about two seconds, it'll build four and a half pounds of boost. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and every combination is different. You know, I took, when I first did my 13, uh, 13 one motor and with the big camshaft in it, I thought I needed eight. I started out at 18 degrees of timing because I didn't know. Yeah. I started there. And I melted every wire within a foot of the headers. <laughs> <laughs> Driving down the road, I'm like, what is that smell? <laughs> <laughs> all the wiring's burning out of the car because the headers are bright red. So, you know, it's just like anything else. That's bad. So if you're not burning and wiring out of the car and the car's not angry and you're not, you haven't knocked any bearings out of it, maybe it's not as bad as you think. It's just what it needs in order to do what it needs to do. So. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, it is crazy, actually, when you look at the OEM cars, what kind of timing they do in light load. I mean, it's yeah. like 60 degrees sometimes. Yeah. It's you know, when you go back to the interview with Benny, who's talking about timing, you'd be surprised at how much timing you can have at par throttle, no load. You know, yeah. it's, it's really, a, it's really a fascinating dynamic. And, you know, all you have to do really is take a, take a, you know, a 1972 Chevrolet 350 with a set of points in the vacuum advance and run that motor to 2,500 with no load on it. You'd be surprised to see that thing's well into the fifties, yeah. you know, in order to keep it clean. And so that whole art of timing uh, really is still a, a, a black mystery to a lot of people. It's it's really, it's an unknown thing. And that's a, that's a common question I get all the time. Where should I run my timing or where should I run, you know, the, the spark plug heat range and what have you. But you're right. Yeah, that's that's 60 degrees in some applications. Isn't that far-fetched? After that podcast with Ben um, on my trip to Sick Week, yeah, light load, 54 degrees timing, um, yeah. starting to you know, lug the motor bit because I'm only running down the highway at 1700 RPM. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes. Um, wow. And, but even then, it loves 50 degrees or 54. And and if you if you're going up a slight incline, it'll it'll pull it down to 42. But anywhere in that 40 to 54, it's happy as. And you can see the EGTs all come down. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Rich, do you want to tell us how you figured out that it liked that much timing? Yeah. Yeah, I put it. New balancer on. I went from uh, ATI to uh, um, Innovators West, and my uh, trigger wheel is mounted to my is mounted to the pulley. Um, okay. And so, on a Pontiac or even some of the Chevys, they have four bolts or three bolts. And when I went to bolt it up, I was thinking, you know, I'm going to have to re-drill some holes and do all that stuff. Well, the thing bolted right up. And I looked at the timing marks and I thought, geez, that's, that's actually probably pretty close. Uh, you know, when I'm, once I fire this thing up, I'm not going to have to move my timing much. Yeah, well, I didn't move it at all. So I, <laughs> I burnt, I burnt the head caskets out of it 
Um, I might have still beat Bill, <laughs> um, and uh, torched torched the head gasket at Rocky Mountain Race Week, and and lift and the other head gasket wasn't in great shape either. I didn't change it, but coming this was home, the all nighter that we did, right? That's the all nighter. That um, was the all nighter. Yeah. Oh, I hate those. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was five o'clock in the morning when we fired it up, and we cracked the header, so it sounded like the bottom end was coming out of the thing. And, oh no. Oh, <laughs> it was bad. We all just looked. We all had a bunch of sad faces. Um, but I so and I, I still didn't check the timing. And I was coming home, and I was actually in uh, Shelby, Montana. I'm like six hours from home, and I'm, and for about the last three hours before I got there, I'm thinking, you know, I don't ever remember if I checked the timing after I put that new balancer on. <laughs> I pulled out the timing light at the parking lot. I had 15 degrees more than I thought I did. Yeah. yeah. So I had I had 15, 16 pounds of boost and 41 degrees of timing. <laughs> wow. You know, and it's and and you'd be surprised of uh, you know, all the cars I get to work on, you know. Um, first we don't have pointers on a lot of motors. I don't know how anybody checks for timing without a pointer. But yeah. you know, the synchronization process is so key. I mean. You can't walk, you can't do anything until you know everything is right and everything is, is especially in the timing area, because you don't have a good baseline to start with. You don't know where anything's at. So, yeah, that's, yeah. that's, a, it was rookie, good education. that's a rookie mistake, Rich. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. so Andy, tell us a little bit about your company and what you do, because you, you tune cars, you do that stuff. So here's, you plug yourself and talk about it a little bit. Sure, sure. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, so I, I guess uh, I guess I've decided to step into the realm of tuning, and uh, you know, I um, working with Hillborn and doing all the fuel injection and doing all the the support there, um, tuning all these cars, all these IR cars, these supercharged cars, and coming to the table with um, uh, you know an engine assembly knowledge and a racing knowledge. Um, I decided that you know now's the time to to step in and, and start and start you know taking the next level of of of, of my career. Uh, so I did start uh, my my own business, and it's been a lot of fun. I mean, um, I've got some really just met some amazing people along the way. Um, so, um, and I guess my one of my most exciting things now is I'm doing a lot of stuff with Sonny Leonard's racing engines, uh, tuning a lot of their um, their big cubic inch stuff. And um, nice. you know, there's going to be some interesting NA cars coming out this year uh, with some pretty interesting power. Uh, some big cubic inch stuff. So, so that's been that's been a, a lot of fun. Um, you know, is this and, all and remote I, tuning that you do, or are you going to their their shop? Who's that again? Is it remote tuning you're doing for oh, Sonny Leonard? Or are you going there? It, it depends. It depends on the application. Uh, I've done remote and I've done on site uh, with them. Oh. So, so yeah. So some of the stuff, you know, you really need to be there. You, you know, what I found is is that in order to find uh, what the engine wants, uh, the engine builder really, in this case, really knows what they want. Um, but when you're listening to the motor, when you can look at the spark plug with the engine builder and uh, get the feedback there and being able to listen to it and talk back and forth, that, that really is just such an amazing uh, way to, to dial it all in. And, and it's really fascinating. I don't, I don't know about you guys, but you know, if you're not pulling spark plugs, how do you really know what the engine is doing? How do you know it's, it's where it needs to be? So how do you know if you're running 15 degrees extra timing? <laughs> yeah, sure. Absolutely. You, you know, well, that the spark plug, will tell you that, but after the fact, that's when you don't really want to do that. <laughs> you want to be sneaking up on that. Yeah. But, but the long short of it is, is, is you're right. You know, there, there's, there's more to just pushing buttons when it comes to tuning 
you know, I'm from the old school. You have to listen to the motor. You have to read the spark plug. You know, you have to get feedback from the driver. All these things are so important in order to go ahead and, and, and find an ideal, um, an ideal tune. As a matter of fact, um, uh, I was just working with a customer the other day. We went to the racetrack and we had an O2 sensor issue. We put a new one in there, no O2 sensor. Now, what are we going to do? The car's never been down the racetrack. So we had to go ahead and uh, do all the part throttle work without an O2, the drivability without an O2, put it on a two-step without an O2, do the burnout without O2. We had to listen to the motor. And, you know, we figured that all out. We have three passes into it before we, you know, finally made a full a full run because I was able to extrapolate into the fuel table where it needed to be. And I said, I think we'll probably be okay. And we made a pass. The thing was a little fat. We didn't have an O2. We couldn't correct off of it. And the car went almost its best time it ever went. So, you know, listening to the car and the feedback from the driver is so key. And uh, so that's where being on site really helps Really helps out. Uh, um, uh, uh, Devin did a great video on the different types of tuners. And basically he said, I, I won't remember tuning because I can't hear the car. And uh, that's that's the old school tuning way of doing it. And that's and that's where I, I think I, I lay my hat also. But uh, but yeah, I've, I've, I specialize in the IR stuff, the, the supercharged stuff. Um, I'm getting a lot more into alcohol stuff. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to actually, um, back in the day when uh, Feld Motorsports was still doing injected, you know, um, uh, big blocks in the um, uh, Gravedigger, for an example. Uh, and they approached us at Hillborn to do proof of concept for EFI at all of the uh, monster truck, monster jams. And so I helped develop proof of concept with them on a dyno, went out and to their field and, and tuned up, you know, their first monster truck on EFI on alcohol to prove that it could be done. You know, because those, those things are so radical, the way they move and slosh around and do all kinds of stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And now pretty much that whole entire segment is all EFI uh, in order to try and keep the emissions down. And so uh, when Mike Wells, who has, has since passed, um, you know, came to us to try and, and, and do that because, you know, they were getting complaints about the smell in the arenas and we were <clears throat> EFI and it worked out really well. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, this the spark plug thing is really or spark plug slash O2 is pretty interesting. I mean, I had my one buddy Ted, he ran a whole event with a bad O2, and you know, it, the car was fighting him the whole time. And and I'll, I'm as guilty as anyone of not pulling spark plugs near as much as I, sh yeah. I should. So I definitely got to get better at that. And um, you know, even when you're running 54 degrees of timing, you should almost throw a set of plugs in, drive for you know. <laughs> I don't know, yeah. five miles or something, pull it up. That is, that is a great yeah. idea. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, really, it takes a long time to, to inch into a tune-up like that. Yeah. You know, you should, you know, and, and obviously it feels really good, so you're good. But who knows, if you're 54, you go to 55, and next thing you know, the thing's too hot, and you wind up having some other issues. You know, you don't know. So knowing where you're at with that spark plug and what it's doing. And really, you can look at a spark plug and say, it looks great, but really, what are you looking at, right? Yeah. What are you looking at? And, and I mean, I was, I was tuning a um, uh, stock luminator car with a Copo motor in it. And I'm pulling spark plugs out of this thing that's burning a CAD off of an NGK, um, almost a thread and a half. And I looked at the sky and said, it's not going to make it. We need to take timing. Out. And we did. We took, a we took a, a degree and a half out of this thing. Sorry, we took three degrees out of this thing. And it promptly slowed down 1500s, promptly. And I was like, oh, well, obviously that's what this thing wants. We put it back up to 33 degrees on this LS motor, and this thing ran its ran its its bacon off. It was amazing. Wow. So it just depends on the fuel, the cam, the 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 um uh, the dynamic compression, all that stuff, the RPM and the motor, all these things come into play when it comes to timing. And uh, yeah, it was it was 
it was scary. I thought for sure we weren't going to make it through the rest of the weekend, but yeah, that's what that motor wanted. So let, let's dive into the spark plugs a little more. So when you do it, do you like to cut the threads off to get a look at everything as far as the the fire, is it called the fire ring or the fuel ring and all yeah, that? Yeah, the fuel like, ring inside. Like talk, just dive in a little bit on the spark plugs and how you read them. No, that's, look for. that's, that's a really good question. So I, I really don't, we, I don't have the facilities to do that. And you know, the nitrous guys, um, I think, are also using some of that to identify cylinder, cylinder, trim too. Um, I'm not as worried about that and what I'm doing, to be totally honest with you. I don't have the data, unless you're running GTs, you just don't have the data to do that. Um, so we're not only using looking at spark plug, we're looking at ETM on hour also. But no, I have a little spark plug reader. I've learned to, uh, you know, take a look at the temperature of the thread, the temperature of the ground strap, the temperature of the electrode. All those things come into play. And... So if you're looking at it and you go, okay, this looks pretty good. Then you make a change. And then you have to decide whether the change is good or better. And typically you make a change going backwards. So that way you don't hurt anything. And if it, if it makes it better or the same, um, you know, you leave it there. If it gets worse, well, let's try going a little bit further the other way. So, you know, it just, it just depends on, you know, what you're looking at and how to interpret it really is what it comes down to. And so that takes years and years of reading these things to identify it. And still, as you can tell, I still don't even nail it right. You know, it's like, wow, this thing shouldn't even be working. And here it wanted every every bit of that timing in order for it to run right. So yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, it really is. It really is. But at least you can keep it safe. You know what I'm saying? You know, I'm sure Rich probably would have seen a little black speckle somewhere on his, uh, you know, on his, um, on his electrode, <laughs> giving him a clear indication that he had too much timing in the motor. And of course, you know, the electrode's no longer uh, white. It's turning a yellow color because it's so hot, it's burning the fuel off of it right away and all kinds of little things like that. And, you know, it's just like, okay, what am I doing wrong here? Yeah, and it was, it was yelling know, out think... to the head gasket. He says, if you won't look at me, why don't you tell him something's wrong? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think like Bill said um, on the last podcast, I mean, I run C16 and it's it's a pretty safe fuel. and. Sure. Yep. <clears throat> there was probably some uh, um, some head bolt issues on there too, but uh, it ran good mile an hour actually um, <laughs> at that timing. Um, and that's when it runs its best, Rich. Yeah, that's when it runs right? its best right before it blows up. That's when it runs its <laughs> best. <laughs> Lean is mean. And I think the other the other piece I wanted to touch on there is. It's amazing all the different things that can affect an O2 sensor. Yeah. Like little little leaks and, and all that kind of stuff too. Um, and if it throws it off, you could you just don't know. So I think uh yeah, I know, like I said, I need I need to be much better at um at diligent at reading plugs when making changes for sure. Yeah, yeah, no no, no doubt. And you know, in, in my car, you know, with the slip together collectors, even though you try and glue those up and all those other things. You know, if I try to run anything targeted idle of 14 and a half to one, the thing's going to be belching black smoke, Yeah. you know? So, yeah. um, you know, the, 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 the targets or no O2 correction at idle in some of these cars is, is important. Um, you just can't look at a number. you got to find out what it wants. And that's really what we're doing. You know, we're just trying to find out what makes that combination happy, what makes it fast, what's going to make it live. You know, when we do drag and drive, you know, there's, it's a combination of everything, right? You know, we want, we want the best of both worlds. So, yeah. and, and, uh, you know, and one of the things where I'm looking at now is, is, you know, running speed density with a map sensor on the highway, but at the racetrack on alpha N, obviously you guys can't do that because you need to have a map sensor to measure boost, but the NA cars, you know, where we don't have that luxury and we're, we seem to be a little bit more handicapped with atmospheric pressure and, you know, map sensor issues. 
you know, changing into this archaic Alpha N has really helped us. We had a, an issue with uh, Josh Norris's car uh, the last day of uh, sick week. And uh, we just did not have any atmospheric pressure on the map sensor. And a lot of the guys were slow. And here come to find out we weren't in an area where we had enough fuel. We had to, I put the thing in Alpha N. I said, we're done with this. We'll put it in Alpha N. And, and now, you know, we, we've got a different tuning algorithms, but these are some of the things that we're learning as, as we go along the differentiate, the differentiate between a street car and a race car. And what's the best way to tune those in uh, for consistency uh, at the races. So I'm going to ask another question about the spark plugs. So okay. <laughs> what's, what's your ideal way to check a plug, put a fresh plug or plugs in, make a pass and then, what do you want to shut it off and coast yep. back to the pits or well, no, actually, driving it back really wreck the reading? Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah. So, so um, we will typically put a fresh plug in it, in the staging lanes, start it up, do the burnout, run it through your paces, run it to the, to the top of the racetrack, click it clean. All right. Coast, pull off and then the driver will swap out the plug while, you know, he's, he's taking care of the shoot or, you know, get ready to come back. But, and typically to get a fuel ring, a good fuel ring, I, I, I need one or two passes. You know and I'm saying uh, sometimes two passes to get a good fuel ring. Uh, but yeah, you can't drive it back, Bill. It's, it's done. The party's over once you drive it. Will that affect the uh, heat, you know, the mark that it leaves on the ground strap, though? I mean, once that's burned off, driving it back is not going to affect that, right? Well, no, not at all. But you're looking at the fuel ring. Like you can start putting, you know, um, uh, at the bottom of the plug where the ground strap is welded. That, that's a really good indication of how uh, over rich a car can be. And, you know, that can turn up black and sooty by the time you get back to the, back to the uh, staging sure. or to the sure. pits. Now you don't have a good plug to look at, unfortunately. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, and burnout and staging doesn't really affect the reading much. No, it, it really doesn't. Um, because <laughs> the event that you're really looking for is going to burn a lot of that excess off the plug, especially sure. a clean plug, a fresh plug. Yeah. So that's why you want to cut it clean at the top and the racetrack. Yeah. And really have no choice. You have no choice either way. You, you still have to perform those procedures with a fresh plug because you can't stop competition and put another plug in. So for sure, for sure. Hmm. I just I just made 15 extra degrees of timing and that cleans them. Cleans them <laughs> oh, right my man. Off. Cleans them right through to the head gasket. Perfect. <laughs> it traps good, though. <laughs> That's right. That's yeah. Like I said, it runs its best right before it blows up. Uh, there's, there's, there's no doubt, but no, that's, that's what we do. And it's, it's been an exciting, I've got a couple of guys at drag and drive, um, that, you know, we're, we're, we're working with this year. So I'm excited to see the potential we can get out of them, uh, with some of their, their cars. So it's, it's, it'll be very, very exciting. So, so Andy, who is your ideal customer? Who's like, my what, ideal customer? What is an ideal customer? Let's say. A great question. It really is a good, great question. Um, you know, here, here's my problem. I wound up becoming friendly with all my customers. And I, I, don't, I don't know. Do you, do you uh, have an OnlyFans page? An OnlyFans page? No, I don't have an OnlyFans page. <laughs> so, so Glenn Hunter Glenn Hunter has a sticker on the side of his car, I guess on his window. And it basically says no dickheads. So if you're if you're not a dickhead, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm okay with it. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if I have an ideal customer, to be honest with you. I like to help people. If I, in all honesty, if I could do this for free, I would. Um, but, but I can't. <laughs> so, but that's, yeah. that's really what it comes down to. I mean, this, the, the racing world is, is chock full of so many amazing people. And, um, you know, they have become my extended family. Um, and it seems like, you know, like I said, I've, I befriend, befriend my customers. And that's really, 
um, if I can do that, then that's really the ideal customer for me. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And, and that's that's a, one of the things about drag and drive is is stem to stern, right? Like yeah. you got a cold start, you got hot starts, you've got city driving, you got highway cruising, you got quarter mile passes. Like that's what makes um well I think it's I think it was game changing for the industry, the more drag and drive events and, and everything, because yeah. everything's gotta be right. Well, you uh, know, um to let the cat out of the bag, wide open throttle is easy. Yeah. Um, it, it really is. I mean, as far as tuning the fuel, I mean, if you have your target air fuel that you want and you have your timing that you want, you figure that all out. Tuning the fuel is real simple. But my gosh, tuning it a par throttle, getting the transitions right, the accelerator pump enrichment, the, the startup, the yep. flare, you know, all those things. And then, you know, every ECU does something different. So the fast ECU works a little bit, a lot different than the Holly does. And then, you know, I'm doing a little more big stuff now. And uh, we have a, a, a thing that I've termed sphere of influence and how the fuel tables are, work with, with the, uh, the actual um, way that the, the, the table follows based on RPM and load. Every, every ECU is different. So finding that sweet spot uh, for all those is important. And then, and then, of course, you know, finding what that car wants and how it all works together. So you're right. You're right, Rich. It's, it's, it is really, you're, you're working the, the tune-up from stem to stern. Everything yeah. Touched. Yeah. Do, do you Matt, have a Matt favorite? Blasco's got my... Oops, sorry. sorry go ahead, no, no, no. Matt Blasco, you said his name. Keep going. <laughs> he's got he's got my car on Barrow now. So we don't run speed density, we run uh Barrow, and it, it yeah. is amazing. I never touched my tune all the way from leaving here at minus, you know, minus 20, driving it all the way down to Florida, the altitude change, everything. I never I never touched my tune. I played with boost. That was yeah. all I did on my car. It was amazing. Sure, sure. You know, and that's and that's actually pretty brilliant. And the OEMs do a lot of that too. Back in the day, you know, used to key off, key on, and we measure barrow and then adjust the fuel table accordingly. And now we can we can do it from the inside. And you know, I I don't know Matt personally, but I've heard of his wares, and that's a that's a pretty in, impressive tuning technique for sure. So, yeah. do you have a favorite ECU, Andy? Uh, yeah. I mean, I really the past seven or eight years I've concentrated with the Holly, and I really kind of know that thing inside and out and uh, we can do a lot of things with it um and i'm very very comfortable with it yes so right right now the holly is is number one but i've been doing a lot of big stuff lately and that's that's a pretty nice little piece too that no that, that, that new pro system they have yeah so yeah and i think you and i talked earlier like i always think of big stuff as one of the very first fuel injection systems like for high performance stuff and i was like why are you working with that old school stuff but it sounds like they've come out with a new like brand new updated system. So yeah, sure, absolutely. You know, John Meany was the originator of DFI back in the day, and his big stuff is like his third or fourth iteration of of his electronic controls. So maybe that's where some of that comes into play. But it's just like anything else, you know. Uh, you got to stay on top of your game by introducing new product that works. And the Holly has a huge resolution table for fuel and spark. Nobody can touch it. Um, but uh, but there's certain things that the big stuff does that you know makes it an attractive piece for, for, uh, for certain types of tuners. So you're right. It just depends on what you like and what you need, but now it's their new stuff's not old school at all. It's based off some old school design, but it's pretty, it's pretty trick and pretty fast. So, so, so can I set up the Holly to run on Barrow? So the answer to that question is, is yes, but you need to get the data first. So, you know, does the Barrow and in, in this particular case, does the Barrow sensor identify the, um, the change in atmosphere that you're looking for? And then, yes, you can build an advanced table using Barrow to automatically correct the fuel table 
in a sliding scale, just like an E85 sensor to, to adjust fueling as a C fit. And also you can also do it for timing too. So yeah, the answer is absolutely. Okay. Awesome. So Andy, if a guy called you up and wanted to build a drag and drive car, <clears throat> would you walk him through a whole bunch of things? I just see one of the things we didn't ask you about your car was like the fuel system. Yeah. Would you work with a customer like, Hey, I want to build a drag and drive car. Give me some recommendations. Sure. And then tell us what you're running for fuel, uh, fuel pump on your car. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. You know, so there's, there's so much to a drag and drive car and it depends on a level. You know, if, if, if you're going to take your 1986 Camaro on drag and drive and not do anything with it, well, so be it. But if you're going to stick, you know, an 1800 horsepower E85, you know, <clears throat> charge piece in it, well, now the conversation has changed dramatically, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, E85 would be nice because you can run that fuel all the time. But um, uh, I run gasoline. A lot of guys still run gasoline. Um, so now um, let's, let's just kind of deal with um, uh, back to the NA world um, where – you know, we'll run pump gas and then we'll switch to race gas. Uh, so um, for me, it made sense for me to put uh, two fuel systems in the car. So I've got a 15 gallon cell in a, in a trunk uh, and right next to it for, for pump gas. Rich is flexing over there. I just, uh... oh, I was just itching. I was, uh... <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, all right, Bill, good for you. Nice. <laughs> so, oh, uh, sorry. Keep, keep going there, Andy. That's okay. <laughs> Sorry. No problem. So, so yeah, so I have a five-gallon race uh, um, uh, fuel cell for, for race gas. So I carry my race gas with me. Um, so um, I've sold uh, welding pumps for years when I was with Hillborn, and uh, they are by far, in my opinion, the most reliable pumps on the road. So I have a racing pump from Weldon, and then I have one of their, uh, we call them a silver bullet pump for driving. Um, and so that's, that's, that's it. And uh, a lot of guys like to use um, uh, ball valves uh, for each pump. And um, I don't know if I remember you um, reading a story about uh, Doug from uh, Motion Raceworks had a ball valve problem. Yep, yep. Yep. And um, so um, before that, uh, what I elected to do instead is, is I put check valves on the outlet of each pump. Um, they're mechanical flapper valves. <laughs> it's, it's funny because that's exactly what I do. Yeah. Yeah, it's very simple. And the only thing, the only valve I have to change is for the return line and then change the, uh, the switch for the, for each pump that I'm using. So yeah, so the, the, the mechanical check valve makes it easy. When one pump fires up, the other one closes, that check valve closes and you're good to go. And I've had mine on my car for, I don't know how many years and I've never had a leak, never had an issue, but it takes, you know, it takes the, it takes the, um, the thought process out of it. You know, you're, when you're running around trying to get a car switched over and people are coming up talking to you and you're doing this and you're doing that. If you forget to turn a valve off and you wind up splitting a pump because the thing has been, you know, building internal pressure for the past five seconds and it blows up, well, you're done. Why, why make it difficult? Make it easy. And by, yeah. you know, so, so that's, those are typically my recommendations. Um, you know, one of the things we do is we, 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 um, we spec the, um, the, the feed line, the, 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 the uh, pressure line, the return line, um, you know, how to run uh, fuel to the fuel rails. That's still a, a big question I get, you know, which size line should I run? How does this all work? You know, and, and understanding the math of the pumps and what's going to be, uh, what's going to happen. And also the amperage rating, you know, it's a lot of these pumps, you know, they've got, we've got some guys running three pumps and you've got 18 amps a pump. And so I don't have to tell you where the amperage rating of that. I mean, that, that all affects the system. So really, I think having two separate pumps in some cases works. And of course, finally, you get into mechanical pump if need be. In this case, a belt-driven pump is a perfect example. 
So depending on what you're running, but yeah, sure. Absolutely. That's, that's all part of it. And really that's for any street car. A lot of these guys, a lot of, a lot of these cars are street cars. So they, you know, these, this, this type of recommendation all comes down to, you know, the power output and the fuel being used, Rich. Yep. And what, uh, on your return side, do you have a three-way valve or you have two valves? Yeah. Three-way valve. Yeah, me too. Yep. Three-way valve. Pretty, pretty simple. One way it's race fuel. The other one is pump gas. You can't, you can't mess it up. You well, just, you can, if you forget to, if you switch pumps and you forget to, to return it, I've, I may have turned my uh, plastic fuel cell into a uh, balloon once, just once. <laughs> well, since uh, since I'm getting older and have dementia, I have my little <laughs> checklist I have. And so I go back to my checklist every time and I make yep, sure yep. I've done all the stupid little things yep. I need to do uh, before we hit the road. So yeah, th th those, <laughs> those mistakes are few and far between, thankfully. So, so let me ask, this is a selfish question for Rich and I because we're boosted, but do you have a preference over like a C16 versus an E85, E98 alcohol type fuel versus a race gas fuel? Do you like one over the other? Um, so that's a really good question. So I guess it comes down to the confine of the volume of fuel we needed, the injector size. Um, sometimes, you know, that extra fueling in E85 be can become difficult because of, you know, the existing combination. You don't want to replace everything and move into E85. Right. But I think there's a home for E85. Obviously, you know, it's cooling properties work well, but, one of the things I do think is that you can't you can't switch E85 and remove an intercooler. Um, I do think you still need an intercooler with E85, and even alcohol in some applications. So, um, you know, a lot of people think that man, I'll run E85, I'll be in good shape, I won't need an intercooler, and I totally disagree with that. Uh, intercooler is a, an important part of of any recipe when it comes to a boosted car, even on E85. But methanol's methanol would be the exclusion, right? Um. And well, it just really depends. There's plenty of methanol cars out there that are running, that are running intercoolers, and uh, there's there's a there's a reason for that. So I think it comes down to the application and what you're doing. You know, it's really interesting too. Is is I tuned up uh, an E85 uh, Gen 3 Hemi with a Pro Charger. We we did it on gasoline, and we had a um, we had a uh, uh, a baseline on gasoline, and we switched into E85. We upgraded the injectors. We did all these things. We did the math, and this thing took. Darn near double the amount of fuel on E85 compared to gasoline. Our math was way out to lunch. Doubled it. Wow. And I mean, the, the fuel numbers, so the injectors we put in it wound up being, you know, at the at the, at the the fringe out of that, the, the fuel pump was too small. So it really is amazing how much E85 these combinations will drink um, in order to cool everything down, especially these pro chargers. They just mix, they use so much fuel uh, to generate the power, power to generate the power. And the fueling required, it's it's phenomenal. It really is. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's interesting. Because I've thought about switching to E85. Um, I run C16-ish also. I mean, I run the Sunoco Max NOS, but I believe that's right. the same. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've got plenty of injector, but I would have to put a bigger fuel pump in it. And sure. the cost difference for the fuel pump, I'm like, it would take more than a couple of years between the price difference between E85 and c 16 yeah. That's right. That's right. Sure. Absolutely. It needs bigger feed lines. You're going to have more, probably more amperage, you know, all those things come into play. And, uh, you know, so if you're on a, if you're, if you don't have enough alternator, now all of a sudden, you know, if you're on the edge of not having enough alternator, now you don't have enough alternator. You really have to look at the whole system as one, as you start upgrading parts because it affects everything else. Yeah. You betcha. Sure. Do you, so, uh, do you have a G meter in your car at all? Uh, I do now. Yeah. I just got one from Matt, but I uh, I got to put one in too. That'll be interesting data because 
my quickest pass on sick week um, was uh, like 162 miles an hour. And when I went and looked at the data, I had been shifting like 500 RPM less. Um, but it was my best 60 foot. I went 141, 60 foot and I went 875. But I'm, I'm convinced if I would have shifted up at seven grand, <clears throat> that it would have been quicker. But the reality is, I don't really know. But a G meter, a G meter should tell you that a lot, a lot more accurately. So I can't wait to look at that data. Also, I, I'm going to find it interesting to tune in a clutch. You know what I'm saying? So, yes. you know, um, with a tire and a clutch, I can look at G and see what it's doing. So I'm really excited about trying out this drive. I've not tried it either. So I think it's going to be an eye opener as to uh, what type of data we'll see with that. I agree with that. It's funny. Good. My buddy Ted says to me, how much information do you need? And I'm thinking all of it. You can't not have <laughs> enough information. <laughs> it's now interpreting it and knowing yeah. how to do it, it's a different story. But you have to start somewhere, you know, you have to start developing that database and every day that you don't have it, you don't have that database to work from. You bet. Yeah. So. Um, I'm just looking at the questions here. Sure. Sure. Uh, so whose car were you turning? You were uh, tuning on at sick week. You, you were tuning on. Uh, oh yeah. I was hanging out with Josh Na uh, Norris oh, yeah. and Randy Bellahar. Those guys are monsters. They're animals. Yeah, you, Randy, they never you, stopped. You weren't, you weren't helping Randy very much. He kept going too fast every pass. So. Oh my gosh, a forty-nine with a five, a forty-nine with a seven. You know. Yeah. I. I uh, he's he's. We were we were literally at the racetrack. It was five o'clock for the first three days. It was berserk. It was it was a long night every night. Yeah. But those cars are so good. We didn't have any issues. You know, they've got them all sorted out and what have you. And we just we just had a great time with it. So. Yeah, and it was nice to get out of the the weather. I don't have to tell you, Rich. And I don't know about your situation, Bill, but my gosh, the stuff that you were posting driving through six foot of snow, it's berserk. We didn't have anything like that. So I bet you Florida was awesome. You it know. was awesome, yeah. This, yeah. this compared to last year, the weather was so good uh, during the event and sucked all the way down and all the way back this year. But the, the six days or seven days that I was in Florida, it was fantastic. So I'll take so, that if I have to drive through a little snow. So allow me to ask you a question, Rich, because I know, Bill, though, since you're using the bank shift builder, you probably don't have a fully adjustable clutch in your car. But Rich, do you? Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. Bill's on mute. So we'll let him keep talking, but I'll I'll talk in the I'll talk in the meantime. So yeah, I run ah. a <laughs> I, I run a black magic um single 11 inch um uh clutch from Kale. Okay. So it's sick, it's got six fingers. Um Oh wow! Actually, because of the last podcast, I uh, I did the math today to figure out <clears throat> how much pressure on launch and how much pressure going through the traps. And I'm launching with about seventeen hundred pounds of pressure. Wow! And it's slipping. It's slipping like one point four seconds. And wow. then uh, as I go through the traps, I'm at about uh, fifty eight hundred pounds of pressure. So wow. when you when you're driving around the pits, it's, it, it feels like there's nothing there. And then uh, when you're going through the traps, you're like, <laughs> China. it's like, I'm, oh, really yeah. I'm really surprised you're able to do that with a single disc, quite frankly. Well, but, I'll tell yeah. you when KL, when KL told me he was going to set me up with a single 11 inch and I'm like, buddy, you don't know what you do, but I'll try it. And he, he was like, it'll work. And the first time I went for a drive on the, on the road, it was slipping. And I'm like, you know, 1800 rpm or something at that yeah. point yeah. and 
<clears throat> he's like, just just throw a little bit more counterweight. And I'm thinking that counterweight ain't gonna work at 18, and it picks it up just like that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it is amazing. When I get to the track, I uh, so I've got like um 78 grams is what what's on there now. And then when I uh, and about six turns of base in it, which I don't know what that equates to uh, off the top of my head, but when I get to the track, I pull all the base out of it and put half a turn in. Wow! So it feels like there's nothing, but uh, you know, all the all the counterweight is it's working really well now, and I can modulate. I never have to change the counterweight. All I have to change is basically I I put the base down there and then change the RPM slightly. That's amazing. And, and do you think that if you were to bring the clutch in a little bit sooner that the car would 60 foot better, or do you think it would knock the tire off? I think, you know, once Viking gets these shocks back to me and I can control the car better, I think, uh, I, I know there's more, there's more in it. Um, my boost curve is, is not nearly as aggressive. I'm not, I'm not at max boost till the top of second gear right now. And I'm pretty sure I can bring it in faster, but I didn't have to to beat Frank. Don't, I hope he, yeah, hopefully he'll listen. Um, <laughs> like I was about I was about seven tenths ahead of Frank, and and I was worried about breaking uh, for a few reasons. I had to drive it home, and I didn't need to go. You know, I if I would run in the eight every day, that was my uh, pack it up and and go to the next track because it doesn't make any sense to beat up on it. Like you said, every break, pass break. is. So if you were to if you were to uh if you were to not have any boost, who would be a who would who would win that race between you and Franklin if you didn't have any boost? Um well it would take me a while to get to Frank's level. Right now he would totally kick my ass. So Frank That's and cool. I have when when I first started bringing the car out, Frank and I had a um because we were both five fives with six shifts. We had our friendly little rivalry going. And uh, you know, we we had a lot of fun with that. Because that car's really fast. That car's yeah. really, really fast. So, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, considering, considering the small tire and all the, you know, all the stuff that, uh, you know, that, that car has going against it as mine with all the heavy weight, when have you, it is extremely fast. So how that's fast, how fast have you been? I've gone, uh, 932 at 147.95 in that car. Oh, you guys are close then. Hey, like yeah, you're that's, close. That's fast. Yeah. yeah. I think his best was sick week last year was a 930. I think. Yeah. Yeah, he's 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 faster than me by a couple of ticks for for an all time. So, but he's uh, ramp, yeah, he's ramping up to spray that thing now. Yeah, that's a form of cheating in my book. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, so, it's so impressive. It's so impressive what he's doing with that car. I hate to see him sully it with a little bit of nitrous. You know. <laughs> yeah, he oh, doesn't man. like second place very much, though. What's that? He doesn't like second place very much. Nah. Though. And really, who doesn't? You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. who doesn't, you know, yeah. if you take the same power plants that he and I have, and you put it in a car that's 800 pounds lighter, you know what I'm oh, saying? Yeah. For, for a standard, you know, valve angle cylinder head, I think he's got a 20 degree in his, but it doesn't matter. You know, you take our combinations, which are relatively, you know, off the shelf, if you will. Um, and you put them in a lighter car, you're, you're, you're well in the eight second zone. And there's 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 nothing too shabby with our combinations on in that particular no. instance. So oh, you guys both have amazing, amazing cars for NA. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, you, you know, and, and like I said, he's he's keeping the rivalry alive. It's 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 a lot of fun uh, catching up with him and see what he's doing. So, yep, it's impressive for sure. 
Oh. What else we got? Good questions here. What are we at? We're at an hour and 40 minutes in. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Nope. <laughs> I was hoping to keep it short tonight. <laughs> well, Rich, you want to hit the TKO round with him? Yeah, well, why don't you tell him? I think he was going to ask you what you're doing for your management, too. I've, I've, I don't well, know if Andy has speed on your... Yeah, so I, I run a... Yeah, the reason I was asking about your clutch, because I run a twin disc Ram Pro Street with twin 55, uh, 5135 discs as well. Yeah. And it's like a 2,700-pound pressure plate. Um, okay. And then, of course, I use the the Bankship Billy to modulate that. And that's... Yes. That, you know, that's what we did today. And I can get a data log that looks damn near close to like what Rich's looks like as far as the clutch slip and the engagement. Nice. With that. Very so nice. it, it seems to work. Now, any of these days, I'm going to have to move into a bank shift, Billy. I'm not there <laughs> well, yet. I know a guy that can help. You know out. a guy? So All right. You let me know. You let me know his number sometime. <clears throat> okay. That, I will. That's cool. That's cool. It is, that's great. And I do think the centered iron disc, you know, it's it's kind of like the spool of, of yesteryear. You can't run that spool on the street. You'll break all kinds of stuff, and that wound up being hooey. But I think the same thing for a centered iron disc. If you drive it right, you know, um, gosh, I had mine in the car for two and a half years before I finally said, I think I need to take it out. And, you know, it was it was, it was due. Not as due as I thought it was going to be, but it was it was due. But that's not too bad for a centered iron disc. <clears throat> yeah, you know? and I found the um, – there are certain brands of disc, frankly, the Ace disc. Yep. has significantly longer life out of any of the other ones I've tried. Interesting. Cool, because like, that's what I'm running, and it seems to work pretty good. So. Yeah, like literally it's it's more than double. Like wow. I had a I had a Bonafonte in there, disc, and, and the, the coefficient of friction and the way that they work is relatively similar. Okay. I mean, they're still 5135s, mm -hmm. but <clears throat> yeah, after an event, the clutch was just completely wasted. And wow. last year, other than re-shimming the clutch, I ran the same disc for both race weeks, like a streetcar takeover, like, I don't know, four or five events all summer. And I don't know, 7,000 miles of driving. And I had the same discs in there. I, just, I did have to re-shim it a few times because you only get so much. You can only move so far with a hydraulic setup. Right. Um, so I had to re-shim it, but I had the same discs in there. Now, awesome. Normally, normally would I have changed them out? Maybe, but because I couldn't even get discs, I didn't have another option. And oh, now right, sure. Now I know I just keep reshimming it, and it works great. So, so yeah, Ace Ace discs are my go-to. Those are the ones I really, really like. I really do think the whole clutch thing. I think it is the Achilles heel of all of our stick shift cars. There's, there's absolutely yeah. no doubt about it. And uh, obviously, there's so many ways to go about getting down the racetrack with the clutch, but I do think it. I'm still trying to find that perfect clutch where it's drivable, streetable, easy to work on, and slips what we need. Not only slips at the starting line, but slips at the gear change like it's supposed to. You know? Yeah. And, 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 yeah. and, and I think, see, there's, there's going to be a balance between, you know, your, your base pressure and your, and your counterweight. Because the counterweight is supposed to come unlatched at, during the gear change. And, and that would be a night, but, you know, we use so much, you guys are using so much counterweight to keep the clutch engaged because you're not using any base, Right. To get the clutch to uh, no, the clutch to slip correctly, so we can't we can't see that disengagement at the gear change, which I think is so important. Yeah, so um, that that is a problem that I've had um, because <laughs> I've I've twisted a few input shafts with the clutchless shifting. Yeah, um, and yeah, I have a whole basket full. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, 
Um, wall of shame, baby. Yeah. But but yep. what I what I'm doing now is when that rev limiter kicks back off, um, I'm actually pulling about 30 degrees of timing to soften when the when the power comes back on, just to soften it over a time gradient. Just okay. enough. And it has helped. I wouldn't say it's eliminated the twisting, but it has significantly reduced it. Are you using the torque management in the um, uh, transmission setup of the Holly? So no. it's using your team? I guess you and I need to talk because no, oh. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> oh, so they have torque management like the OEMs. <clears throat> they they do. It's based on gear uh, per gear change, um, and you don't you don't you really don't even need that per se. Uh, that's that's a real nice feature, but we can also do it in other ways. Uh, with the Holly system to bring in torque management based on time per gear change. Sure. Yeah. And that's, that's what I've been doing and that seems to be helping, but maybe that's a conversation we should have offline. Sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah, um, uh, uh, so I got a couple, couple questions. Uh, what was one? Oh yeah. When are we going to, so did you sign up for drag week or when are we going to see you back out? Oh man, I, I'm telling you, I'm getting prepared for Midwest drags this year. Uh, okay. That's my big one. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do as many drag and drives as I want. So we'll see what happens come the end of the year. Uh, but right now I'm gearing up for Midwest drags. Um, nice. You know, that's really kind of in my backyard. And uh, I think Hyde does a great job uh, with promoting it. And uh, he's a super good dude. And he's a stick shift guy on top of it. So <laughs> I, I'm, you know, I'm excited to support his event. Um, so, um, so that's, that's it for right now. Other than racing locally and, and, uh, and cruising the car, you bet. That's, that's my, that's my role plan this year. So that's awesome. Well, if that's you try awesome. um, you try clutchless shifting on the other gears, um, I'm I'm guessing I'm guessing if you do the same method as Bill, where you basically run into a, a rev limit and cut a certain amount, that should get you unloaded enough to shift. Hopefully, yeah. I've been looking at strain gauges, and I think there's a spot for a strain gauge. You know, in order to go ahead and try and get that to work. Um, Introducing it with the shifter handle, I think, is the hardest part. Um, but I would, I would love, I would love to see if, I would love to see if Long Shifters comes out with a strain gauge equipped, you know, uh, you know, Long Shifter handles, so that way I can just bolt it and go. That might be a conversation well, to have. We could talk about um, the strategy that I use because I just use, I hit the rev limiter at seven thousand, yep. and it cuts off and it doesn't come back on until like fifty two fifty. So it's just just right about the amount of the drop anyway. So That's you just apply pressure and as soon as it hits, boom, it shifts and then it's back on and you just apply pressure and it hits. So you're shifting at the same RPM every single time and it's significantly faster than kicking the clutch. That's what I found. Wow. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm game. I'll try, I'll try anything once. So. <laughs> and then nice. the way I do it is I have a, I have a shift cut knob. It's actually from Czechoslovakia. A guy makes them there. Really, it's a really nice piece, and uh, so it's got it's got micro switches, and okay. it's a rocker. Um, so it doesn't move very much, but it moves a little bit. And so if you're in first gear, I launch with my hands on the steering wheel, and as soon as I pull the top of the shifter, it cuts ignition and fuel for 0.12 of a second. Wow! Um, which allows me to get into the next gear. And then I have half a second to get my hand off the shifter um, to get it back to the neutral position. And then same thing, <clears throat> I, uh, I push forward, it cuts ignition and fuel for 0.12. And so, wow. You so guys it's are like a string gauge, but it's way more basic than a string gauge. You guys are gauge. way more technically advanced than I am. That's all I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow, wow. I don't know about that. 
Yes, no, that, that's great. I had no idea you guys were doing that. And that that's that really sounds like I mean, if it's helping you, it, it would help out any type of obviously that whole time frame between gear change and engagement of the gear. You know, if you're clutching it in any way, you're killing momentum, you're slowing everything down. Um, and that's a that's a big to do, especially for an NA car. I mean, that's huge. So those are those are all awesome tips. Well, I was yeah. telling I was telling Tony and Tess uh, when I uh, when I put fuel injection on my car that that TPS module there that is like it's a huge tattletale. <laughs> um, oh, you bet. <laughs> I would, I would, when I was using the clutch and I would let off the gas, just about every time I wasn't flooring it again, and the car had so much power that uh. you know it's not like it's going slow and I'm trying to push the my foot through the floor. It's like it's pulling hard and. Um, so when I, uh, now I don't, you know, I launched the car with my foot on the floor and it doesn't come off until the end of the, the pass, but, uh, you have to train yourself to do that. Oh, you totally do. Yeah. You have to train yourself to do that. I was guilty too, letting my foot off during a one, two shift. And, uh, you know, it took a little bit. You had to really think about it. Don't let up, don't let up, grab the gear. <laughs> don't let up. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. 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 I, I'd be amazed at the people who run carburetors who don't realize they're doing it. Yeah. You know, I remember working uh, lights out a couple of years ago when I was working for Holly and a guy come over and he was complaining that the boost was falling off and blah, 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 blah. And I'm looking at the log and I'm like, my guy's taking his foot off the throttle. So I said, <laughs> I said, well, here, I said, the guy's getting off the throttle. He goes, I didn't even see that. Oh. And he left, he turned around and walked away and he knew exactly <laughs> what was going on, you know, but the driver would have never told him he was letting off the throttle, yeah. you know, but it was killing the boost. It was killing the run, you know, but you're right. It's, it's, it's an excellent uh, tattletale. I, I love it. I'm, I'm, we're all guilty of it. So, yeah. 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 Okay. We better, we better get going, Bill, or I'll just keep picking his brain all night. All right. TKO round. So it's a five speed transmission. We got five questions. Could be okay. a G Force. Could be it a G Force round. Yes. Let's could do be. the G, let's do the GF5R round. Okay. okay. All right. GF5R round. First gear. What's the first car you owned or modified? So uh, I bought my first car and I was 15 years old. It was a 66 Super Sport Nova. And, and you know what, Bill, you'll like this. About, about a month before I bought that car, I was 15 years old. And the car I test drove I was going to buy was a 66 Fairlane GT 394 speed Ford 9-inch car. That was a certified 12-second, bottom 12-second car. And I didn't buy it because the clutch pedal felt weird. And I'm 15 years old. How am I going <laughs> to fix it? You know? And uh, so I told the guy, no, it's $1,200. That's $1,200. So what I do a month later, I buy the Chevy too with no motor, no transmission in it. <laughs> for for $1,100, right? Oh, no. I over I overpaid for it. Well, I'm a Chevy too guy. My next door neighbor who befriended me and became uh, kind of like a, a, another dad, if you will. Uh, he had a, 60, a 67 Nova LT1 Turbo 400 and a set of 488s in it with a 12-bolt. And, you know, you're 15 years old and, you know, you stab the throttle on this thing and it puts you in a seat and you're just like, oh, what an amazing experience. So I've been a Chevy 2 guy my whole entire life. Okay. Um, All right. So, so long and short of it is I bought this car and it took me two years to get it to run. Everybody told me I'd never get it to run. I built my first motor, did my first rear end, put it all in the car. And the opening day of high school, you like this story, opening day of high school, I picked up my best friend and his girlfriend and uh, I married her 10 years later. So, <laughs> that's awesome yeah so it's, it's, it's a pretty neat story that's good that's good yeah. that's awesome and the clutch pedal felt way better than over it was like there was nothing there 
Oh, you know what? I didn't know back then that the Chevy twos had a recessed oil filter. I fought the clutch linkage on that car uh, for, <laughs> for the whole entire time I had. It was awful. Then come to find out they make an adapter for that. But it's another story for another day. But the clutch in that car was awful. I hated it. But it was a stick. Okay. <laughs> so Vertigate, I guess we're going straight down in the second gear. Uh, what, in your opinion, has been the biggest technology change to move our sport forward? Absolutely, without a doubt, without any question, electronic fuel injection. Electronic fuel injection, by far. I love that answer. Absolutely. Uh, nothing has advanced the this, this sport, especially for the sportsman racer, than electronic fuel injection. If you think you can go 3,500 horsepower on alcohol with carburetor today, you can forget about it. It's never going to happen. So uh, the nitrous motors last, the supercharged motors last, the tunability is unbelievable. I can go on and on for 100 Hundred hours as to why fuel injection is is probably the most uh, uh, largest advancement ever in the motorsports realm. You, you could almost start a company espouting the benefits of electronic fuel injection. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Okay, so long shifter, we're gonna jam it up again, and now go into third. If you could spend one day with someone, who would it be, and what would you do? And I have been waiting for this because you and I talked about this question the other day and you yeah. didn't spill the beans. Yeah. So, you know what? Um, it really don't, it's, it's really not hard for me. You know, I have a, it would be my mother who passed October 15, 2008. And, oh. uh, you know, uh, she passed well before I was, I was able to tell her um, uh, all the things I did wrong growing up and how she has really, she's the reason why, who I am today and all the good things that I've done and all the bad things I've avoided. And so, uh, so I would, I'd love to spend a day just thanking her for all the things that she has done and sacrifices that she made for me, uh, growing up. So not to, not to, um, turn down the excitement of the conversation, no. but really that, that would be it for sure. Absolutely. That, that's a fantastic answer. Yeah. I, li I like yeah, that. It's a, good, it's a good memory for those of us whose parents are still around, right? To, yeah. 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 Enjoy them every day. Enjoy them every day, guys. Absolutely. So happy for you. That's awesome. Awesome. Andy. Okay, uh, I guess we're going straight down into fourth now. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Is, is this clutchless or I got to pedal the clutch? What are we doing here? No, no, do clutchless now, buddy. Clutchless yeah. now, all right. Clutchless now. <laughs> Put to the floor, jammer in the next gear. That's right. Um, what influences you to build your cars? So, you know, that's really interesting. So I never really bracket raced. Um, so the, the, the short story is when I, I had a 68 Supersport Camaro that I was going to turn into a super stock eliminator. I was hanging out with a well-known local racer, Ken Montgomery at the time. And he had the triple nickel. He had a 65 Belvedere Hemi car. It was a stick shift car. And it really, I mean, I was always a stick shift guy. And that really cemented the stick shift racing for me. And I wanted to emulate him by going um, stock eliminator racing. So back in 1990, actually late 88, uh, late 80s, uh, when uh Jericho came out. We all bought Jericho transmissions. And so I had a Jericho on the street for years. I couldn't bracket race the car. I, I was I was done with the stock eliminator thing. I couldn't afford it. I was going to schools, doing all these other things. Life got in the way. So I put it in the I put it in the car, but I couldn't bracket race with it. It wasn't consistent enough, you know, and I wasn't that good a driver. And so I just be better, you know, be bopped around the street and had a good time with it. Maybe did some racing, you know, on the street, blah, blah, blah. But long story short is it wasn't until the whole drag and drive thing. And I finally went to my first drag and drive event that I had found what I really wanted to do with my car. And it encompassed everything. It encompassed the, 
the 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 drag racing bit, the driving bit, which I'd like to do, working on the car, um, and then include all things such as time management, and then of course the adrenaline rush, and that is the reason why I work on my car today. Um, that that whole entire experience is is so overwhelming and and such a um, it's 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 amazing, and so that really is the drive for me that I work on my car today. Uh, because of of these of these types of events and being involved in them, there's no doubt about it. That sums it up for me too. I think, yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. Am I going into fifth, Rich? Yes. Yes. Okay. Wide open throttle, no clutch. <clears throat> that's right. Top gear, boom. What, in your opinion, is the secret to stick shift racing? So I've mentioned the word a couple of times. It's perseverance. Um, there is, there's nothing more rewarding than racing your car with a stick shift. Um, you know, but unfortunately it requires constant work maintenance. Um, you know, we go back to, um, uh, that super stock article, uh, in hot rod magazine and, and Jimmy Daniels talking about, you know, I'll never get rid of my, my, my G force four speed. He says, you know, I used to be able to get, I think he said 50 runs out of a set of valve springs. And now I replace them after 10. It's brutal. It's hair raising. It's exhilarating. It's thrilling. It's a damn money pit. <laughs> but there's absolutely nothing more rewarding, you know, um, when you get the accolades of of your fellow competitor. That man, I cannot believe you're rowing a stick shift in that car. And I really do think that's the nicest thing anybody <clears throat> can ever say to anybody. It's just it really is um, an amazing experience um, to race a stick shift car. And that's, and that's why I do it. Um, the perseverance and, you know, just enjoying every facet of it. I would agree again, yet again, Andy. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. 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 Really. It's a passion. Passive. It's a passion. It really is. It's a passion, you know? And, and, you know, if you don't, if you are not, if you're afraid to fall down, put an automatic in the car. Yeah. If you're well, afraid well, to fall down, put an automatic in the car. Yeah, you know, we could, all, you, we could, yeah. you know, this whole conversation tonight could have been like, yeah, man, I've just changed the stator and the converter, you know, picked up a, another <laughs> foot. It was all good. And that'd and be I, it. We'd and be I have done. a beautiful, beautiful purse in the back seat you can all look at. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, there's 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 definitely some passion involved when it comes to stick <clears throat> shift and uh, the perseverance, I think, is that a good clutch is uh yes. stick racing. Yes. Okay, well. I don't know how this one works. Like if you take it from fifth and you jam it down, what happens? Uh, that's reverse. And so oh, don't that's race. Think... That's race, actually. That would be so, sixth gear. <laughs> there, there used to be a time where we had a separate reverse lever for uh, the, like the Jericho and what have you. So when I got this GF5R and I'm looking at this thing, I was like, where's the reverse lever? <laughs> well, there is none. So sixth gear, all right, when you pull it back, that's reverse. Okay. Well, don't do that. And let me where tell you. It tells you right away when you're looking for another gear driving down the highway, thinking you have another one left. It tells you right away that you shouldn't be doing that stunt. <laughs> so when I uh, when I when I took the uh, uh, the drain plug out of the, uh, the transmission to change the first gear and I'm looking at these small little metal shavings in it, it was because I'm trying to find six gear in a five speed transmission because you're not uh, paying attention. So, yeah, I'm, I'm guilty of it. You betcha. Okay, well, now you're riding with Bill and I, and yeah. uh, we're going from fifth straight down into sixth. <laughs> so the last I, uh, I am so happy for you guys, but I'll never get rid of my GF5R. You, you'll have to pry it out of my cold, dead hands. <laughs> I think Frank would say the same thing. So maybe it's Frank. He just 
he has clicked his gear vendors. Yeah, um, I, I'm I'm due for one of those too. That would be a great idea, actually. Yeah. So, um, so last question: What advice would you give to somebody getting into this sport? That is that is the sixth gear question. Just so that's the sixth gear. Oh wow! Okay, here you go. That's where we're going with all this. <laughs> hey, uh, you know, um, the only advice I have is 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 really is is to follow your heart. Uh, there's so many ways to, to go drag racing. Uh, what do you want to do? Drag and drive. What do you want to do? Stick shift thing, fuel injection, carbureted. Who, who cares? I don't care if you race a Ford, a Mopar, a Toyota, come and have fun. And the ultimate, the long, the long and short of it is, is that we need, uh, a younger group of audience to join us. And if we take a quick look and take a look at the excitement that events such as drag and drive have uh, produced, and let's throw our tip our hat to um, Street Outlaws, for an example, and how they have um, enticed a whole new generation of racers. Um, you know, really, that's that's really what we need. So, you know, come join us. The water's warm. Jump in with both feet. Uh, everybody's willing to help you and uh, just enjoy all the camaraderie that the, the drag racing community has to offer. And that's uh, that's that's the best advice I can give you. <clears throat> that's awesome, awesome, Andy. Yeah. So. Let me uh, let me put a huge thanks out to Stick Shift Nation for hosting the podcast and Travis for all his wizardry behind the scenes. Thank you, um, Travis. Yes, and uh, you of course can find the Clutch Burners podcast on all the podcast platforms and YouTube. Um, and if you'd like to see this continue, which we're going to, but you can help support it by heading over to stickracing.com, grab a Stick Shift Nation shirt hat or sticker and of course you can get clutch burner shirts too if you want like to that really hey dude look at that yes like one of those right there that's right that's <clears throat> yes. how you do it folks we're doing great thanks <laughs> so um yeah and then go ahead and plug your company one more time andy please yeah sure absolutely so yeah if i can help you with any of your efi stuff uh i um star performance and consulting find us on facebook find us on the web uh, we're always happy to help uh, fast, uh, uh, Holly, big stuff, um, especially drag and drive. Or if you're in the IR, supercharged, that's really our, our go-to. Um, by all means, feel free to uh, reach us at any time. And I guess the website is what, um, or the email, starperformancetuning at gmail.com. Nice. So, yeah, nice. Absolutely. Love to help you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Andy. All right, all right guys. Thank you so very much. So don't Great. hang up. Thank you again for having me. It was awesome. You're, you're so yeah. welcome. So welcome. So don't hang up. But okay. we will conclude this episode right there. Boom.